Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of February 11th, 2021, including Embracer Group makes their biggest acquisition yet with Gearbox Entertainment joining the fold, Ubisoft is looking to become less reliant on AAA games, we now have details on how E3 will be handled this year, and yes, it's going all digital, and more. Welcome back to week 88 of Xbox On. I won't sugarcoat it. We got a full week of news this this week. A lot of comments, a lot of news, a lot of good stuff to get into. So no dicking around, guys. I don't have five hours to edit these long-ass episodes. Let's just get right to it, right? You know, we want people to listen to the show. We want new people to get engaged with the show. If I keep talking about my diet and and Taco Bell and all this shit every week. We'll never get any new listeners. If you see, the show's called Xbox On. You expect there to be something about Xbox, so fuck it. We're talking about Xbox. All right. First, let's start this week's episode with some corrections. Actually, that's not true. Not corrections. This is a note I wanted to put in here, actually. So this past weekend, I was playing some Call of Duty, very Xbox-centered. I was on my Xbox Series X. I promise you, new listeners, this is an Xbox podcast. Don't click off. Don't run away just yet. I know. I know, I know Defining Duke is a new Xbox podcast. I know Major Nelson's got his own thing going on. I know the guys that kind of funny are doing something these days. Listen, I know IGN's always got that long-running Xbox podcast. Fuck off. Stay here for a second, you fucking ADHD freaks. All right, so I was playing my Xbox Series X, playing some Call of Duty, playing some Zombies, and I was listening to my weekly Tesla podcast, not my weekly Tesla podcast, a, a Tesla podcast I listen to weekly. And they were talking about the new, you know, maybe a lot of you are familiar with this. It's kind of been making the news a lot recently. But Tesla's revamping the uh, Model S and Model X, their, um, their luxury sedan and, and luxury SUV model cars. And with the new, part of the new remodel is like the whole interior has been redone, yada, 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 all this new shit, infotainment, it's a beautiful car, go look at it. But the reason why I bring this up is because Elon was talking about how the new Model S interior features, you know, screens in the back seats, the screen in the front is even bigger, nicer, higher definition. Now it has like like a massive internal and storage and it supports wireless controllers like xbox game pads and things like that and they're really pushing the gaming angle of it because like they're talking about how you know you can run witcher 3 now and they had like the picture of the interior of the car with witcher 3 on the screen so like they're really pushing like how it's kind of like you know this this new tesla model s is is in a way a video game console they're talking about how it has the the computer performance basically equivalent to like a PS five is what is how they put it. So anyway, I was just thinking about, you know, I, I think about Tesla a lot cause I, I enjoy Tesla's. It's a, it's a thing I'm interested in. And you know, the whole thing about the Tesla's is there's all this infotainment and all this, uh, all these features in it because you know, you might be, let's say on a road trip and then having to stop somewhere to charge. Well, that charging could take you anywhere from like 25 minutes to an hour or whatever. So it's nice that, you know, your Tesla, can game on it because you could just hypothetically whip out an Xbox controller and start playing some Cuphead or Witcher 3 or, you know, these games that are already on on Tesla cars. Uh, but I was thinking about this and I was like, you know what? I don't know that Tesla would be up for this, but I think Microsoft would probably be really smart to try and get 
xCloud on Tesla cars. And because like we, we talked about how, you know, the rumor as it stands now is that in 2021, Microsoft or Xbox is going to put out a xCloud streaming app. They'll have it on like smart TVs and like Roku sticks and shit like that so that you don't have to buy an Xbox to play Xbox games. You can just have a Game Pass subscription with, you know, xCloud and of course just use your app or your stick or whatever and stream games. And so that's that's kind of the rumor. And I mean, we assume it's going to happen eventually at some point. There's, I mean, there's no way it's not, right? And I was thinking, why don't you just build this into Tesla cars so that, you know, Xbox becomes like the official gaming platform of Tesla, which is basically the future of cars. You know, electric electric vehicles are our future. So I just think that'd be a really important, you know, obviously not everyone has a Tesla yet. They're selling very well and they're growing like crazy. And, you know, in probably five to 10 years, you'll see, you know, if not Tesla, it's just electric cars in general being the norm. But I, I think this is a really good opportunity for Microsoft to try to be at the forefront of this all and be like, hey, let's put our platform in this space before this stuff blows up or before it gets to the point where it's like, everyone has one so that it kind of becomes, you know, Xbox becomes ubiquitous with cars, you know? So I, I don't know. I like that idea of like, you're in your Tesla and you're driving somewhere and you got to stop to charge and it's going to take your car like 50 minutes to charge or whatever. That's fine. You can just reach in your glove box. You got an Xbox wireless gamepad in there. You whip that sucker out, connect it to your car and boom, you're playing Halo. You know, you're just somewhere where you're streaming Halo Infinite from your Tesla. And, and you got to kill 50 minutes. So you're going to play some multiplayer for an hour while you wait for your car to charge. And I was just thinking like, I, like this, this, these talks have got to be happening behind the scenes. There's no way Microsoft, you know, obviously a very techie company, probably run by a bunch of p very techie people who probably drive Teslas and very techie cars. There've got to be people at Microsoft who are driving their Teslas to work every day thinking we got to get Xbox into these cars because I just, I feel like that's such a missed opportunity. Like this is, Obviously, the idea is that technology with these cars imp improves so much that one day you'd be able to charge your vehicle so fast that it'll be the equivalency time-wise as to like how we are currently with cars where you just pump gas in it and you're good to go. But I mean, at least until then, at least for the foreseeable future, it seems like this whole spending an hour at a supercharger station to charge your vehicle thing is the norm with Teslas and other other um, electric vehicles. In fact, if you're not talking about Tesla supercharger, you're just talking about a standard charge port, you know, standing standard charging location for an electric car. It takes hours to charge a car. It takes like anywhere from like five to 10 hours, depending on what kind of car you're charging. So, and what kind of wattage you're getting out of that charge port. But my point being, I just feel like this is a really good opportunity for Microsoft to jump on. And I, I hope someone out there, you know, Xbox, listen, if anyone out there from Xbox is listening to this podcast, please don't click off. I know Major Nelson's got a show. I know the kind of funny guys are doing a show. I know the IGN guys have an Xbox show. Listen, give me a chance. I promise this is an Xbox podcast. Please don't click away. Put your fucking Xbox Game Pass app in the Tesla because one day I'd really like to own a Cybertruck and I like to think that I can play Halo Infinite in my Cybertruck because that would just make me a very happy boy. In fact, if I can, if I could play Halo Infinite, if like let's say one year, one day, I'm I'm so I'm so fortunate as to own a Tesla Cybertruck. If you put Xbox in a Tesla Cybertruck, I don't think you understand. I can I can move out of my apartment and just live out of my truck. I could live in a Cybertruck because I got everything I need. I got a fucking badass uh, post-apocalyptic cyberpunk car and I got an Xbox built into it. Like, and, and the thing has air conditioning and this is Florida, so we're good, right? So I just I just want that to be something to think about. Uh, 
uh, hopefully that's understandable to those of you who aren't car people or don't give a shit about Tesla or cars or anything. But I was thinking about that this week. Make it happen. Now, another thing before we get into the comments is there's a story that's been going around for the past week or so about 343 potentially hiring for a new Halo project. You know, speaking of Halo, the in, the internet was lighting up over like, oh, man, oh, my God, oh, they're, oh, they're, they're building a new Halo game. And they're trying to hire ta- talent for this new Halo game. And they're teasing a new project. And basically, 343 came out and were like, hey, hey sorry, this was worded weird. We basically just meant like, we're hiring people who want to work on like post-launch content for Halo Infinite. Like this is basically has nothing to do with the second game or separate Halo project. We're not announcing anything. And so, I mean, long story short, yes, of course, there are other Halo projects in the works. And I think we'll have other Halo games come out in the coming years that aren't, you know, mainline Halo 1, 2, 3 game type games, you know. But I don't think that's what this was about. I think this is a lot of people looking into things, overanalyzing things, and speculating over nothing. People are just really hungry for Halo news right now, with Infinite being super delayed. Uh, but like, there's nothing really to t- to glean from this. You know, right now what's happening with Halo is we're just patiently waiting for more news on Halo Infinite. The game will be out this year. Everything else is basically just like we'll see it or we'll we'll focus on that slash talk about it after Halo Infinite is out. So. I didn't really want to get into that because we've talked about this in the past about other Halo projects, rumors about like a game where you play as like Spartan Locke and like the rumored, you know, Halo Wars 3 or Halo horror game or like a, all these types of Halo games have been rumored forever. I don't I don't really feel it, you know, talking about that shit because that's not news. That's just more empty speculation. And uh, we've done enough of that kind of talk on that specific subject. So I'm leaving that out of the news, but I'm bringing it up to let you know, yes, I see you. I see you news story. I see you internet people talking about this all the time. But with that said, guys, those are our little uh, updates and things I wanted to address before we get into this week's show. Uh, but let's start the show with our, our usual starting segment, which is the comments, shoutouts, which come over from YouTube.com. Remember, you can go to YouTube.com, look up Second Best Gaming, you'll find me there. And then the Xbox On playlist is where you'll find this show. Uh, just comment on the latest episode, and I'll probably read your comment on the next episode because... If I, especially if I see a new name, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you unless unless you're saying really heinous stuff like uh, Tesla Cybertruck is not cool in my opinion. You say something like that, you won't get right on the air. That's all there is to it. All right, our first comment this week's com- com- this this week comes from new commenter. This isn't the comment. This is the commenter's name. It is I'm in the crib playing Fortnite with your grandma. That's again. That's that's the commenter's name, not the comment. Okay, so I'm in the crib playing Fortnite with your grandma. Says, "What's up, second best, longtime listener here? Of course, via podcast format. Just decide to leave a comment for once and say hi and great show. Peace. Thank you, uh, Fortnite grandma crib player. I I appreciate the comment. I appreciate the support for the show. Remember, this is an Xbox podcast, so please don't feel any pressing need to go and listen to the guy." from IGN or the guy from kind of funny. I know they do a great podcast. Listen, I know the major Nelson guys got his own show, but I promise you this is an Xbox podcast. We're probably going to talk about Taco Bell for a little bit here and there, but that's that we got to do it. I've, I've, I had Taco Bell recently. You want me to just not bring it up? Okay. But thank you. This is an Xbox podcast. Moving on. Mr. Tricera pops. Great name here says, uh, always a fun. Listen, happy to see the ML MLB, the show come to Xbox as an Xbox guy. The conversation around exclusives is really exhausting. Sometimes Anytime Sony makes a move like this, the general conversation seems to be about how smart they are and about how they're optimizing the market. When an Xbox Studio game goes multi-platform, the narrative often feels very negative about how dumb Xbox is. Ultimately, I've been invested in the Xbox ecosystem since the 360, so that's where I'm going 
to be unless it's dramatically different. It doesn't really affect me to see Xbox games go to more players, and I'm happy whenever more people get to enjoy good games. It's something I actually like a lot about the Xbox brand. Well, Mr. Triceratops, great name, by the way. I appreciate this comment. I think it's a great comment, and I, and I mostly agree with it. But I will say, no, obviously, as an Xbox guy myself, I think your comment's mostly true, but it's not entirely true because... Remember, just recently, last year, uh, PlayStation brought Horizon Zero Dawn and Death Stranding over to PC, and I think the bigger one, especially with Horizon Zero Dawn, a lot of the reaction was like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you, why are you bringing this PlayStation game to PC? And they, they did receive some fan backlash um, over doing that, so I do want to, just, just for the sake of being fair, I do want to put it out there that there were a lot of Sony fanboys that were out there bitching and moaning about how Horizon was apparently not console, not like an exclusive game anymore because you can now buy it on Steam. So just remember that actually did happen. And I think Sony is interested in putting more games on Steam. Uh, I mean, there's just so much money to be made there. So we might see more of that from Sony in, in the future. But no, I, I do generally agree with what you're saying is, you know, for the most part, if Sony does anything like that or if Sony just makes any kind of move, there is that double standard where Sony can do something and they're and they're praised for it. Xbox does it and they're the fucking worst. So I definitely understand what you're saying. Like, you know, obviously MLB The Show, while technically in, 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 the, se in the sense of sales, it's a massive game. It is in the optics in the optical game of like the console war fanboy ultra gamers MLB the show is a small game it's it's not you know it sells well because casual gamers and sports fans like it it doesn't sell well because hardcore gamers are just dying to live out their fantasy league baseball 2021 season on PlayStation 5 you know so it is a bit different to see a game like MLB come to Xbox than it would be to see, like, say, Halo come to PlayStation. But I definitely see what you're saying, and I definitely agree with it to a large extent. For example, I mean, Cuphead coming to Switch got a lot of backlash. Or in the Blind Forest coming to Switch got a lot of hate. You know, every, and, and think about the big conversation we're having all the time now that Microsoft is in the process of acquiring Bethesda. It's always... Oh my God! Are uh, are Elder Scrolls and Fallout and all this shit not coming to PlayStation? Like they better make it Xbox. You know, you got Xbox fans saying they better make it exclusive. We need exclusives, and then you got PlayStation fans saying, "Oh man, Xbox sucks so badly. They had to buy our good games because they couldn't come up with any of their own." So, yeah, you're you're definitely right. Xbox just is constantly facing a damned if we do, damned if we don't kind of situation from audiences. But at the same time, I think I think sometimes. PlayStation fairly gets criticized. But yes, with your last part of your comment there, I definitely agree. It's always great when more people get to enjoy great games. So, you know, games leaving exclusivity to go to other platforms is actually a great thing. And it really only matters to stupid fanboys who just want to have some weird tribalism brand thing going on. But in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing but good when other people get to enjoy great games. Now, Joe Murphy comes in this week and just says, thumbs. So, Joe Murphy, uh, possibly a bit of an ableist comment there, just uh, bragging about your your thumbs when some creatures don't even have thumbs. So you might want to reconsider the implications of that comment. But nonetheless, Joe wants everyone to know thumbs. My mother writes in and says, Dear Handsome, not everyone who loves ketchup is a Nazi. Clearly that's a very Nazi cover-up thing to say. So my mom is a Nazi because she likes ketchup. And if you like ketchup, you're a Nazi too. Now, Adam Ziso writes in this week and says, I can understand how someone likes Shadow Warrior, but unfortunately, it's not the level of the messenger. I think you mean to say Cyber Shadow, not Shadow Warrior. Shadow Warrior is a very different game, but nonetheless, you continue on. Uh, I have two cats. There's often a little fight between them. Cats love their asses first. 
and we all love them for it. Lol. Uh, yeah, I mean, both figuratively and literally, because, I mean, my cat here is finally starting to warm up, and her whole thing is she'll let you pet her a bunch, and she'll, like, love the pets, and then she'll turn around and, like, show you her butt to show you that she's non-threatening, and I'm just like, all right, didn't really need to see your asshole right now, but I appreciate the sign of a piece here now you say did you play stalker no matter which part check out also the movie of the same name okay so i assume stalker the movie is entirely different from stalker the game and there's no relation just a just a coincidental shared name but no i've never played stalker the game i'm really interested in stalker 2 i I think that'll be my jumping on point for the franchise and if i enjoy stalker 2 i'll go back and play stalker 1 but no that's a that's a series i never really knew much about until the second one was announced last year during the xbox third party showcase And now that I am aware of that franchise, I'm very keen to give that game a try, uh, like I said, when the sequel comes out, because it just looks like that's going to be the best chance for me to find out if it's my kind of game is to jump into the latest and greatest installment. But yeah, I mean, I'm interested in it, but no, I've never I've never played it. And then lastly, you say, is is there something like winter where you are like now? Which one is it? MZ, so if I'm correct, you're you're commenting in from Germany, right? So yeah, I mean, yeah, I live here in Orlando, Florida. We have all four seasons, uh, technically, um, but I'd argue that not really. So technically, it's winter here right now. Yes, we got spring, summer, fall, and winter. Our winter is extremely, extremely mild. Now, I've I've lived in more like traditional. I lived in places that have more of a traditional season rollout of like a regular spring, summer, fall, and winter. So I'm familiar with all four of the seasons, but living here in Florida, you, you mostly get like the way I would say it, starting with spring, you get like summer, then you get like summer, which is like really hot summer. Then you get fall, which is like, I can't believe it's still summer, but it's also Halloween. And then you get winter, which is like really beautiful, mild summer with occasional chilly days. And people don't, People underestimate how chilly it can get in in Florida, but you got to understand it's like super wet and humid here. So when it gets cold and windy, you get that wind chill, which is like fucking awful. So it, it gets cold here, you know, like, but the thing is, it's not like, oh, it's been cold all month because it's winter. It's like, oh, yesterday was a beautiful 75 and today's freezing cold, but tomorrow will be beautiful and 75 again. So like last week we had a day where it was like 30 degrees and freezing and windy and the past two days you know have been literally 80 degrees like it's been beautiful beach weather here so yes I'm familiar with winter technically it's winter but no in Florida it's mostly just hot all the time and I I know people usually make fun of Florida for that but I actually kind of like it I've been I've been enjoying the endless summer I I just missed fall leaves that's about it but uh, thank you for writing in now, my brother writes in and says, if you don't finish a game, and this is referring to Cyber Shadow, as I was talking about last week, he says, if you don't finish a game just because it has an odd gamer score, you need to just finish it and force yourself to get over that. That's the dumbest thing to be OCD over. Now, conversely, you know, to to kind of play devil's advocate to what you're saying there, brother, uh, Sarugi also writes in, about the same topic, but says, I totally understand how you feel about odd gamer score. Overcooked can eat a dick as far as I'm concerned. If you're thinking you won't finish the game, why not look up what the achievements are that you're likely to encounter? At least you will know if you can safely continue or bail out a little closer to the end. So, first of all, I just want to put out there, here are two comments about the same thing, both pulling me in a different direction. You got my brother telling me to just not rob myself of a good game experience and just play the game and not care about the achievements because having fun with the game and experiencing that game is more important which I agree with in a general sense. 
And then you got Sarugi here telling me like, hey, I totally understand why you're OCD about the gamer score. I'm I'm similar. I got we got overcooked, which is also being a dumbass game in a similar way. So what do, what do you think about that? Now, Sarugi, you say here, why don't I just go, okay, from where I am right now, let's look up the rest of the game. What achievements are gonna auto unlock just from the course of playing the game? Will that make me odder even by the time the credits roll? That's a great point. I thought about doing that, but I've just been pretty lazy and just just haven't really tried. Now, I have gone back this past week on two occasions to try and play Cyber Shadow again. The first time I was like, well, I don't even know if I want to play it, not just because of the gamer score thing, but because the game's getting hard. You know, like the game, I look, I always use the website howlongtobeat.com to kind of reference, you know, okay, how much time am I going to spend on this game if I'm just playing the game? Because I like to know, I like to kind of like loosely course out or, or plan, have a roadmap about like the, ne- the the upcoming games I'm playing and like how much time it's going to take for each one. So I always use howlongtobeat.com. And that website says that Cyber Shadow on average it's about a four to five hour game. So I'm thinking, you know, I kind of suck at games a little bit. Might be on the longer side. I might die a few times. Might be like six hours for me to beat this four to five hour game, right? Well, I got to be honest with you. I'm on I'm on level seven of a 10 level game. So I'm pretty far in the game. I'm like 60, 70% through the game. And I've probably put about eight hours into the game. So I'm like on my way to breaking the world record for how, how much you can die and suck at this game. And my point there is that like, I'm kind of past the point of having a lot of fun with this game, and I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, this was fun for a while, but now I'm tired of just dying all the time, and I don't even know if I want to play the game. So I tried to play it a little bit the other day. Immediately, it was just like, no, I'm not up for this challenge. This is not what I'm feeling. Went back to Call of Duty Zombies. Then two nights ago, I tried to play it again, and I was like, okay, it's still hard as balls, but I'm kind of in a better mood to play it, and and I have more patience for it. So I got halfway through another level, and then I was like, eh, but still, I'd kind of rather just play something else right now. So I went back to the medium. So I don't know if it's like I'm letting this gamer score thing really get to me. Or if I just truly have gotten to a point where I don't want to play the game anymore and I'm just I'm just content with what I've experienced. Because I am also trying to live by this whole like don't feel pressure to beat a game just because you started it. Like if you're not feeling it, you're not feeling it. That's all there is to it. But yeah, I mean you guys both raise a good point here. And now I'm just kind of stuck between this whole like do I finish the game? Is Am I trying to protect my gamer score? Do I even want to play the game? And it's, it's a very confusing time to be me. I can... I can assume that I assume that you can only imagine, you know, how difficult this must be. This is a true dilemma and something I think worth praying for. So maybe you guys could put out a prayer for me in my in this uh, difficult time of decision making. Next up, Wes H says, I finished Halo 3. Big fan of the game. I thought the ending was perfect with the wake me when you need me quote. Now, Wes, if you think that was amazing, just wait till the beginning of Halo 4. A lot of people don't catch this, but at the beginning of Halo 4, when Cortana wakes up Chief, she goes, Wake up, Chief. I need you. And a lot of people are just like, oh, yeah, of course. You know, he's been in cryo sleep since Halo 3. But only true fans of Halo 3 will call back that the last thing she says or the last thing he says to Cortana is, wake me when you need me. And then he goes into cryo sleep. And then the first thing she says to him when he when he wakes up in Halo 4 is, wake up, Chief. I need you. So it's so cool the way 343 really perfectly ties together the ending of 3 with the beginning of 4. But a lot of people don't catch that because we're too busy just shitting on literally everything 343 does because they can do no right. But I just want to point that out there. I thought I think I think yes, that's a really awesome ending to Halo 3. It's like the perfect last thing for Chief to say because he's just like this like personless soldier and he's just like when you when you have a utility, when you have a need for me, 
just you know bring me back you know it's like pull me back out of the tool shed when i'm of use to humanity again it's just like the perfect ending note for chief and then the way they just ah i love it Sorry, hit the desk. Probably scared the cat. Ah, love it. It's such a perfect line. But anyway, you continue on. You say, you understand that Taco Bell is amazing and the, ba- and the best fast food restaurant, and it makes me enjoy this podcast so much more. Well, it is the best fast food. Uh, hate to break it to you, though, but Tower of Terror at Walt Disney World's Hollywood Studios is actually better than any other ride at Disney. But I would like to know what's your favorite park and what's your favorite place to eat slash your favorite meal. My wife loves Epcot, but I'm a Hollywood Studios guy. Well, Wes, this is a great comment all around because you've mentioned my two favorite things. You've mentioned like everything I love in one comment. I just want to point this out. You mentioned Halo 3, which is the best Halo game, which is, you know, top three greatest games ever made. You mentioned Taco Bell, which is the greatest fast food. And then you mentioned Epcot, which is the greatest place on earth. So like, what are we doing here? Are we just, are we, are we sneaking some Taco Bell and an Xbox 360 into Taco, in, in, into, into Epcot? We're going to go to like some, uh, cast member out of you know restricted access area and hook up our xbox to some place and, and play xbox and halo 3 and eat taco bell while we're at epcot like you, you just you're touching on everything i love in one comment you know it's like you're playing the algorithm you're playing the system here you know if i mention these things jesse will read my comment on the air actually you can pretty much say anything and i'll read your comment but i do appreciate you hitting on everything that matters to me in my life anyway you could have mentioned Cybertruck and Mountain Dew, but that's okay. Yeah, so your Disney question. I know Tower of Terror is a beloved attraction, man, and I trust me, I love Tower of Terror, but I don't know what it is about Tower of Terror. I don't I don't have the affinity for it that other people do. Like I, I love it, and I'd be devastated if it were one of the many things that Disney is trying to take away from us these days. Like I would hate to see something like that go. And I love it, and I think it it it's a it's a very important I think it's the most important attraction left in all of Hollywood Studios. But it's it's a far cry from my favorite attraction for sure. But I'm glad glad that's your favorite. Of course, you're wrong for making it your favorite, but it is a good choice nonetheless. You could have done worse. You could have said Buzz Lightyear's ass blasting, and we all know that's the worst fucking ride at Disney. Now, or actually, Magic Carpets of Aladdin is probably the worst. I don't know. Anyway, what's my favorite? There's so many good questions here. I'm, I, reminder: It is an Xbox podcast, so shut up and wait for a second. But you say, what's your favorite meal slash place to eat in the parks? Okay. This is an impossible task because I have a lot more to say. Like, you guys know I have a lot to say about Xbox and Halo because I talk about that shit nonstop. It's an Xbox podcast, by the way. I know the other guys do one, but I do one too, and it's, it's I promise it's about Xbox. But I actually have way more to say about eating food at Walt Disney World than anything else. I love the Mountain Dew. I love the fast food. I love the Xbox. I love all this shit, but there's nothing in this world I am more qualified to talk about and more interested in talking about and just have more of a useless wealth of knowledge on than eating food at Walt Disney World. Like, so you fucked up. You brought up something that's a fucking time sink. Sorry to everyone. This is going to be a four hour episode because now we got to talk about food at Walt Disney World. This is my favorite thing, but I'll try to keep it brief. We got to break it up first of all. You can't just say, what's your favorite meal at Walt Disney World? It's like, you got to break it up. Are we talking about snacks? Are we talking about quick service? Are we talking about table service? Are we talking about resorts or parks? Okay, so let's just, let me just make it really simple for you. Just in terms of like quick service, like fast food in the parks, 
My favorite things are going to be a Disney pizza. My favorite place to get a Disney pizza used to be at the resorts because you could get the big family-sized one. So, like, go to Pop Century, go to an all-star sports resort, get a Disney pizza, chill out in your hotel room, watch the Mickey Mouse cartoons or something, down a root beer, get that Disney pepperoni pizza, some ranch dressing for for dipping, get one of those bakery items for dessert. Fuck you. That's the best way to end a 30,000-step day in Magic Kingdom. Disney pizza, best food, not only at Disney World, but in the world. If Taco Bell put the Disney pizza on their menu, we would all ejaculate into oblivion and would never eat anywhere else. It's that good. So probably the Disney pizza, right? But now the Disney pizza has fallen into obscurity because why? Disney hates us all. Bob Iger's trying to kill us. Anyway, with that said, the Disney pizza has been relegated to two places. You got it at Hollywood Studios, your favorite park. It's at the Pizza Rizzo. It's still great there, but the Pizza Rizzo as a theming restaurant sucks. It's an awful restaurant. Great menu. It has Disney pizza, but only the small ones, not the big ones like they had at the resorts back in the day. Okay, so where else can you get a Disney pizza? Well, they have it at Pizza Fari over at Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom, Superior Park to Hollywood Studios. Sorry to break it to you, but it's just the truth. Pizza Fari, also more fun theming than Pizza Rizzo. Same Disney pizza, same menu. Love it. Perfect. Okay, but you can't have Disney pizza be your favorite meal in all of Walt Disney World when considering that there's amazing restaurants to eat at, like Chico and California Grill, etc., etc. So, what's your favorite meal at Walt Disney World? Well, if we're talking table service, my favorite's probably Flying Fish over at the Boardwalk. They have a Wagyu steak that makes me want to fucking shoot my face. It's so good. So, probably that, but... Still, Disney pizza, can't forget how good that is. I love a good Disney cheeseburger. One of the best fast food cheeseburgers you can get. Cosmic Rays. Amazing theming, amazing burgers. Don't listen to what the bloggers say. The food is fucking good. Okay, that's out of the way now. Good Disney snack? Oh my god, they used to have this pina colada slushy that I'd, I'd get all the time. They don't have it anymore. What the fuck happened with that? But anyway, sometimes I'd go to the resorts and I'd get a fresh-made bakery uh, brownie that they, they make in-house at the resorts, and then I'd go over to the gelato place and get a slice of, like, a, a scoop of, like, chocolate chip gelato ice cream and just mash it all together. Fuck you, Ghirardelli. It was better than that, but they don't have that anymore either. So, I mean, what do you want me to say? Disney's... Eating food at Walt Disney World is my favorite thing. I probably have to cut this all out of the podcast because now you've probably clicked off. You're probably over there listening to the IGN Xbox podcast, the Major Nelson. You're listening to Major Nelson. Are you kidding me? It's basically just propaganda, man. You're fucking listening to the Major Nelson. Listen to me. It's an Xbox podcast, I swear. But favorite places to eat at Walt Disney World, man, it's endless. That new barbecue place at Epcot, not my favorite place, but goddamn, it's so amazing. The Regal Eagle Smokehouse, holy Fuck, that's good barbecue. And then you got, oh my God, you got Animal Kingdom is just amazing for for fast food. They got Pizza Fari. They got Flame Tree Barbecue, which is great barbecue. They got Harambee Market, which is great, like rice bowls with pork and chicken and shit. It's so good. You got Restaurant Source if you want your classic theme park fare. Awesome burgers and chicken and shit like that. And then you got Satuli Canteen, which is like, what if we just made amazing rice bowls with uh, fucking like uh, smoked smoked beef and and uh like this amazing like i don't even know what that sauce is that sauce is so fucking good in the blueberry mousse all right we're gonna move on now because we can't do this wes this is an xbox podcast i see what you're doing i see what you're trying to do you probably work for one of those other xbox podcasts you're probably trying to get me fired probably trying to get my audience to go away but that's not gonna work on me we're gonna get back to the xbox podcast but real quick epcot is my favorite theme park i let's not get into it but it's my favorite park. It's got my heart. That's just that. Lance Y writes in and says, Greetings from cold, snowy coal mine in northern Canada. This is going to be a bit of an ad read, but you should go to the West Edmonton Mall in my neck of the woods if you want a great international vacation. 5.3 million square feet with over 800 stores, including a couple EB Games. That's the Canadian GameStop. Let me stop right there, actually, because... EB Games, yes, is in Canada. I think it's also in Australia, is it not? But uh, EB Games... 
is not just Canadian GameStop. It actually used to be GameStop's competitor here in the States. So when I was a child, I used to shop at EB Games. We had them here in America. And then GameStop bought them and then just turned all EB Games locations into GameStop's. So, like, the GameStop I used to go to at the North Point Mall, not that anyone's going to know what that means, but I used to go to the North Point Mall back in Alpharetta, Georgia. That used to be an EB Games back in the day. True story. In fact, when I was a kid, that mall had an EB Games and a GameStop because I remember every time my mom would take us there to buy makeup at Dillard's or some stupid shit like that, we would just, like, drag ourselves on the floor and cry and be like, take us to EB Games and GameStop at the same time because we're stupid kids and we want to look at N64 games. And that's what we used to do, so... Joke's on you, we 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 had EB Games. But yeah, I know, you guys still have it in Canada because you're awesome. Uh, anyway, you say, also the, more, the mall has more than 100 fast food joints and restaurants, and yeah, there's a full indoor amusement park along with three roller coasters. There's also a giant indoor water park, skating rink, arcade, mini golf, bowling, go-karts, IMAX theater, and underground aquarium. Catch a show at the comedy club or casino, and shit you not, my kids got kissed by sea lions at the Sea Lions Rock. You can do all this and never see the goddamn sun. There's two big-ass hotels in the mall. We go every couple years. P.S. Ketchup is amazing. I put it on burgers, fries, bacon, fried chicken, and yes, in true Canadian fashion, craft dinner. Go fuck yourself. All right, man. You, you wrote this lengthy, beautiful paragraph that I, I read on the air, and you got me excited. Here I am on Trivago about to trip, book a fucking trip in the middle of a pandemic to the Edmonton Mall, which I can't even go to because they're not letting Americans into your country right now. And you had to go and ruin it with your fucking ketchup comment. Why the hell are you putting ketchup on your eggs. What the fuck is that? So we know you were an abused child because that's clearly what you're trying to glean here is or express to us, but like, fuck me, you're putting ketchup on your bacon? Why do you hate yourself so much? But yeah, I've actually heard of the Edmonton Mall and I would love to go there. It sounds amazing. Um, I, I've, I've actually already seen like travel specials on it and yeah, that, that place is fucking crazy. I definitely want to go there. Uh, one day, but you know, like I mentioned already, you guys blocked this out from your country. So what do you want me to do about it, Lance? Huh? You want me to legally sneak in your country? Anyway, thanks for riding in. Uh, Sarugi comes back and says, people coming to this podcast to listen to Xbox news are in the wrong place. Oh, this is a timely comment. This is a fast food slash Disney variety cast with a sprinkle of Xbox related stuff. Just the way the OG commenters like it. Thank you, Surugi, for actually understanding the integrity of this show. I really appreciate you being, you know, savvy enough to actually see what I'm going for as a creative and, and not just thinking that I'm some, like, ADHD, easily distracted dumbass uh, who just uh, doesn't get enough opportunity to talk to people and therefore emotionally dumps all my feelings and thoughts in one place because this is the one hour a week where I get to tell anything to anyone. No, that's not true. You just, uh, you understand that I'm a fucking savant. Speaking of which, my brother even comments and says, anyone that comes to this podcast just for Xbox news probably left about 50 episodes ago. So I guess I said something last week that sparked that comment for both of you guys. But yeah, th thanks. That makes me feel better. But I promise you, this is an Xbox podcast. We're not like the Major Nelson. You don't got to listen to IGN or the Major Nelson or the kind of funny guys. I know Sacred Symbols is doing their own, their own Xbox podcast. You don't got to do that, guys. We got our own show right here. You can trust me. I'm your Xbox guy. Um, but you know what I will, I will say? I know we get off topic a lot and there's a lot of meandering, a lot of non-Xbox related shit on here, but I will say that that pisses me off when I listen to a show and it's just like so much unrelated content. It's all just bullshit, but not if there's structure to it. Does that make sense? Like everyone knows like any good podcast is about like 
developing like an appreciation for the host. Like you got to hear the host talk about off topic things every now and then, because you got to learn to like the host, like their personality, like their, like their story, like, you know, like to learn about them. Um, so it's important to have the off topic stuff. The problem is when a podcast doesn't have any structure and then it's always off topic. Like I used to listen to a theme park podcast called podcast, the ride. And the thing I hated about that show is like, they constantly had like no, coherency to like what the actual subject was about it would just be like oh we're all like you know vaguely associated with Hollywood and we're all like actors or people in Hollywood and we live in California and uh vote blue no matter who and and they just like it feels like every episode they're just talking about like isn't Hollywood great oh here's a movie reference you won't get and at some point you're just like wait isn't this supposed to be a podcast about like a Disney theme park ride or something like that? And like, it's a really funny and entertaining show when it's funny and entertaining. And then when it's not, it's just like a whole lot of like people just like stroking their own dicks. And so like, I stopped listening to that show because it just got to a point where I was like, okay, like I'll find another podcast. I'm done with this. But on the other hand, there's like the PlayStation podcast I listen to and they often have comments similar to this show where like people are writing in with crazy ass shit and arguing about fast food and stuff like that. But it's all about PlayStation. I love that show, but why? Well, they have structure to it. So I like to think Xbox on works because even though we're talking about the Disney, we're talking about the fast food, I'm overusing the curse words. There's still structure. You know that the show's going to open with some corrections and comments we're going to get into some news. We're going to get into some games of gold and things like that. You, you know the general structure. So it's, oh, if Jesse's being ridiculous, I can skip you know to this point, and I know he'll be on to a new comment or at the news. But it's not like those podcasts where it's like, here's a vague topic, and we're just going to talk around it for two hours. So maybe I'm just trying to justify the format of the show to myself, but I like to think that the fact that there's still structure, despite the fact that we're always talking about something unrelated, at least makes the show somewhat coherent and understandable and palatable. Does that make sense? Agree or all ban you. Okay, Emmanuel Pereira says, Hey, Jesse, I was just thinking about the popularity of Game Pass. Do you think third-party developers will be thinking twice about releasing games traditionally on Xbox? Or are software sales still strong enough to make it worth it? With 18 million plus Game Pass subscribers now, when they get into Xbox Live Gold or Netflix subscriber numbers, with fewer pe- will fewer people be buying games? What do you think? So this is a really, really great question. And I've, I've thought about this in the past, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I have the ultimate answer because I certainly don't. But, ba- I mean, basically what you're saying here is it's like, let's get let, let's imagine a time where Game Pass is so popular that, like, it has, like, Xbox no- or Netflix numbers of subscribers. What incentive does Xbox have to sell you a game for $60 or $70 on the storefront or at Walmart and Best Buy when everyone else is just subscribing to Game Pass and, paying, and playing whatever the fuck's on there? And I think it's, I mean, I think it's broken down by a couple of factors. So this isn't, and this isn't to demean any game that comes to Game Pass, but think about what Game Pass is. It's where you go to play all the Xbox first party content day and date. And the reason why we get that is because it's Xbox's platform. So they have to support it and put their weight behind it with their own content. Just like Netflix, it's Netflix's platform, so they have to support it with their own content, their own shows, their own movies. Netflix isn't taking their movies and putting them at Regal Cinemas for you to go watch, although I think they did that once a couple years ago with one movie. I could be wrong. But anyway, 
Netflix is making movies and making TV shows to support Netflix, to give you a reason to have Netflix. So that's what Xbox is doing by putting their content into Game Pass. I don't think the expectation has ever been or will ever be that eventually Game Pass will get so big that EA games will come out day and date into Game Pass, that Activision games will come out day and date into Game Pass. That's not going to happen. They understand it's like, again, it's like Netflix. You mentioned Netflix, and Netflix is the perfect analog. You know, they don't... We don't get brand new shows that come out on like NBC or whatever Fox or whatever station shows come out on on cable TV. And then the same day that they're out on cable TV, you can also just watch the whole season on Netflix because that's not how it works. Netflix gets regular cable television, but they get it like when the episodes when the season's been out for a few months or is a year old or it's a show that's already run its course and is in syndication at some point. So the way Netflix works is you're getting old TV content, old movie content that you know and love from the past, and your and your new content is all the first-party Netflix stuff that's keeping you there. But think about it like this. Just because Netflix is out and everyone has it, it's not like we stopped going to the movie theaters. Like, oh, well, we did stop going to the movie theaters, but that's because of COVID. But let's pretend COVID didn't happen. Like, I right before the pandemic happened, I still went to the movie theater to go watch Sonic because... I knew Sonic wasn't going to be on Game Pass or on Netflix. I knew Sonic wasn't going to be on Hulu. I knew I had to go to a movie theater and pay money to go watch Sonic because Paramount or whoever the fuck produced it had to go put that into theaters because that's how they do movies. So, you know, will Sonic be on streaming services in the future? Probably. It might already be on one of them. I don't fucking know. It might already be on Netflix. But I understand that I wanted to see Sonic the day it came out, so I had to go to theaters to see it because it's not a Netflix movie. It's a it's a Paramount Pictures movie. Uh, so I got to wait for them to put it on Netflix in a year or so, or I can go to the theaters and watch it now. Game Pass is a very similar thing where it's like, well, there are a lot of people who will eventually, and I think gamers already kind of have a feel for it, the way this market works, which is like, okay, it's a new Halo game. I'll play it on Game Pass. But no one's looking at the next Call of Duty thinking, oh yeah, that's going to be on Game Pass day and day. I'm going to wait and play it there. It's like, no, you know you got to buy Call of Duty a la carte because it's not going to Game Pass. A better example would be like a like a Ubisoft game or, like, or something like that where it's like, you know, it comes out, it's, it's sold separately for a year and then maybe it comes into Game Pass after that. So the point I'm trying to make is, you know, Game Pass is this collection of, like, Xbox-exclusive content or smaller games that are of, like, a lower quality, not not usually the kind of game that, like, mass markets are going to go out and buy. Or it's, like, middle-tier games that are a little older and that have been out for a while or, like, some, like, AAA games that have been out for a while. So it's about, you know, understanding what Game Pass is and setting the expectation, knowing that Game Pass isn't going to give you everything all the time. And so that's why it's still okay to pay for certain content. That's why it's still okay to be like, well, I know, you know, this new Ubisoft game might come to Game Pass in like 18 months, but I don't want to play it in 18 months. It's out now. I want to play it now. So go ahead, spend 60, 70 bucks and buy it. I think the market is still going to go for that. I, I definitely think we're not going to reach a point where it's just like, wow, no one's buying games anymore because everyone's just waiting for stuff to come to Game Pass. Although I think that you'll definitely see a transition period of there are now certain people who, who just don't buy games. They only, you know, just like how there are people who are like, we don't go to the movies anymore. We have HBO max. We have Netflix, we have Hulu and we just watch what's on there. You know, we just wait for Disney plus to put out new baby Yoda dance compilation videos. And we just watch that for $8 a month on Disney plus. And that, that, I mean, there's a market that absolutely does that, but I think Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and these services have been around long enough 
that the market has shown that, yes, there is a time and place for both the movie theaters and Netflix. And I think what we'll see in the game space is a similar thing. And I know it might sound a little different because games are just so much more expensive than movies. You know, paying 12 to $15 to go watch a movie at the theater is a lot easier for someone to stomach than spending 60 or $70 on a brand new game when you could just go home and play Game Pass. You know, so I understand that difference there. But again, I think the gamers and, and people who own video game consoles understand the market well enough to say, well, you know, Assassin's Creed, uh, whatever the next one's called, that's probably a 75 hour open world game. Well, this is worth $60 to me because it's a big, beautiful, massive open world game, dense with things to do. I want to play it now. I don't want to wait a year or two for it to be on Game Pass. Like, I'm willing to pay 60 bucks for this because I see the value. I see the amount of content. I see the potential value that I can extract from this game. I'm willing to pay 60 bucks for that. I think that's what you'll see, but again, I... I can't tell you the answer because we're still in the early stages uh, of all this and it's hard to tell like what kind of lasting impact Game Pass is really going to happen. One thing I think for sure is that we're we're very far from seeing the final and lasting impacts of how Game Pass is going to reshape the industry, but just in terms of like do you think people will still be willing to pay full price for games knowing Game Pass is a thing that continues to grow and become better and better? Yeah, I think I think people will. So, we'll just have to see on that. No, let's just kind of blast the rest of the comments because we have a decent news week and I really don't want to make this a four-hour episode, but we had to talk about the Disney food options. You know, I mean, it is an Xbox podcast after all, right? OG Man says, also, I've never played Mass Effect since open-world RPGs aren't usually my thing. However, I just played all the Master Chief Saga playlists on Master Chief Collection and I'm itching for some more sci-fi shooter gameplay while we wait on Infinite. Dude, I totally feel you on that. I mean, and if you feel that way... Maybe uh, maybe check out some Destiny in the meantime, right? But yeah, no, I, I, I understand what you mean. It's uh, You want that story-driven content. It's hard, man. I, I get stuck with the same thing sometimes where I'm just like, aren't there like a billion sci-fi shooter video games out there? And then you think about it and you're like, no, if it's like a lot of really, really big and important and popular games are sci-fi shooters, but... There's not like an overabundance of them, I feel so. Or I, I see why you, why you might want to cave and play some Mass Effect. Give it a try, man. I don't know. I really want to get into Mass Effect 2, but I've, I've had such a hard time with it. But EA's King then comes in and says, Side note, a guy in my class broke the glass door, the main entrance. He kicked it in. I don't know what that means, but I, I hope everyone was okay. And I hope that the guy didn't, you know, cut the fuck out of his leg for kicking that door in or... If he was a burglar or someone bad, maybe, maybe hopefully he did. I don't know, but that's, that's crazy, man. Uh, you said also community Halo game night sounds like a good idea. So you're like the fourth person to say that now. Lethal Mindgrain says, but another game series other than Halo. And my brother says, do rotating games. Got to get a Gears 5 night in there. So apparently there's a, there's some of you who want to do community game night. So now what I'm going to do now that we've got, you know, four or five of you who are potentially interested in this i think what i need to do is for my own ego's sake try and hold this over your heads to drum up some kind of like hype and feed my ego and be like yeah people want a community game right they want to do this with you so i'll keep denying you of it i think for a couple months and then uh and then one night you know when like when when there's so much pent-up demand that we've got hundreds if not millions of listeners waiting for community game night then i'll be like fuck it if you guys support me on Patreon at the $5 up level, I'll do a community game night. So 
guys, I don't even have a Patreon up, but just start start sending me money. Find it. I don't care. Just start guessing email addresses and PayPal and that shit to me. Eventually, you'll get it right. Just start sending me money. Guys, eventually, we'll do that community game night. First, you got to pay me. Thank you for that comment. EA's King... This is like your little EA's King Power Hour. We got a bunch of little comments for you. You say, Japanese cheesecake and American cheesecake are very different. I feel like the texture of American cheesecake has the texture of pudding, whereas Japanese is just like cake. So, EA's King, I don't know how we got onto that topic. I don't know who mentioned Japanese cheesecake, but I've had Japanese cheesecake, and yeah, you're right. It's a lot airier, fluffier, more like regular cake. Uh, although it's still a little, little tiny bit dense, like cheesecake. But also, yeah, it's a lot less sweet. It's a lot more mild in flavor. Japanese cheesecake is phenomenal. In fact, I, I love, like, Asian baked goods in general. Like, um, God, in Atlanta, we had a lot of, like, Asian bakeries. Oh, my God, there's this, this small, like, local chain in Atlanta called uh, Sweet Hut that did, like, all these Asian pastries and desserts and uh, bubble teas and coffee drinks and all that stuff. And Oh, that place, it's like the ultimate place to just like bring your laptop and do some schoolwork. But god damn, I miss that place. That was uh, so fucking good, man. They had so many uh, awesome desserts and stuff. And I just, I miss that place. But yeah, Japanese cheesecake's a shit, man. I, I, I feel it on that. It is definitely a lighter, less sweet, and more like regular cake. But it is so good. Now, finally, EA's King, you say Tokyo Disneyland is the only Disneyland I ever went to, not the main attraction in Tokyo. If you go to Tokyo just to go to Disneyland, you have the wrong reason to go to Tokyo. So, all right, EA's King. Well, first of all, this is in reference to last week when I said I do want to go travel abroad. Mostly I want to go to all these theme parks internationally. But I did mention in passing that if I have one of those weird, like, American obsessions with going international and traveling abroad for the sake of experiencing culinary and and culture... Japan is my place. I, I, I said that last week specifically. So I don't really understand where this comment's coming from, kindly. I just, I told you I want to go to Japan to explore the country, see the nature, see the history, eat the food, experience the customs and the day-to-day of Japanese life. Like, I, I want to go to Japan for those general, you know, white people travel and experience other culture kind of things, you know? So... I don't understand your comment exactly because I didn't say Disneyland, Tokyo Disneyland was the only reason I wanted to go, but absolutely Tokyo Disneyland is a big reason why I want to go. I, I would definitely go to Japan one day with or without Disney being there. Let's put it like that. I, I would definitely make a trip to, to Japan one day because I want to go to Japan, but I definitely also really want to go to Disneyland. And I'm not going to lie. If I'm, if I, let's say I'm hypothetically in Japan for two weeks I'm going to try to spend at least five days of that two weeks in Disneyland because theme parks are what make me happy. And, you know, I used to sh- I used to struggle with that a little bit of what you're saying there because there is that kind of like social norm and standard that like, you know, oh, you travel to France, you go there because you want to see the Eiffel Tower or the, or the Moaning Lisa. Uh, you want to see the old history of Rome. You want to eat the flavors of China. You want to go to, you know, you want to go to fucking Madagascar so you can see where DreamWorks filmed all the scenes from the famous movie like I understand the whole like the value and the and the social norm of like you got to go to these countries to experience these cultures and these customs and these things that you're supposed to do as a tourist in these places but it's come to my attention as I've grown up is like I think what you should actually do is just whatever the fuck you want because I've met a lot of European especially living here in Florida is you meet so many people from all over the world and it's like you meet a lot of Europeans who want to come to America so they can 
see New York City and go to Disney World and go to Los Angeles and see the Statue of Liberty and all that bullshit. It's like it's the same thing as like Americans who want to go to like the UK and, and go see Big Ben and London and the, the guards that don't move when you wave your hand in front of their faces and all that shit. It's like it's like I mean, we can talk about that all day because these are like the, the tropes, like the the almost like caricatures of like these nations identities. Right. And it's like, I, I understand to the extent that like you want to experience these things. It's like people talk about them. It's popular. It's, it's something that it's exciting and people want to ex- go to these different places and experience these different things. But at the end of the day, I think your reason for traveling shouldn't be necessarily because you want to experience a different culture. It should be because there is some intrinsic value for you to go visit that country. And whatever that thing is, is between you and yourself. Like, so for me, it's like, if I want to go to Tokyo just to go to Disney, which isn't true. Cause I want to go to Tokyo to visit Tokyo. But if I, if I decided to go to Tokyo specifically for Disney and nothing else, there's actually nothing wrong with that because at the end of the day, it's about what brings you happiness and what you're going to enjoy. It's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, an evil person because I decided not to go to like, what's that, that big intersect that's really famous or whatever, or like, I, I didn't go to visit like old Shinto shrines, or I didn't go up to that place where like the springs where they have all those deer that walk around that you can pet, or I didn't go to fucking like, I, I don't know, I don't know, I just didn't do any of the shit, you know, I, did, I just, I went there, I went to Disney, I, I stayed in my little bubble, and then I went home, it's like, at the end of the day, all that matters is like, you did the thing that brought you happiness, and you didn't go over there and like, cause some like international like meltdown and, and, and cause trouble or anything. It's like, if you're just there because you want to have a good time at Disney, it's like, by all means, man, go go support them economically. Give them some of your hard-earned dollars. Vacation there. Enjoy your time. Be respectful and kind of others. My only real thing about traveling isn't that you have some obligation to experience like the Eiffel Tower if you go to France or the fucking ancient city of Rome when you go to, to Rome, Italy or something like that. It, sh- it should be that like my only the only thing I think should be like a standard or like a socially widespread adopted thing is that if you're going to travel internationally, especially somewhere with vastly different customs or a different language, you should take it upon yourself to learn a little bit about the culture, to learn a little bit about the language before you go over there so that you can try and make yourself as little of a burden as possible. If that makes sense, like, you know, like don't don't be that ignorant, rude person who's just like constantly inconveniencing other people because you didn't learn basic words like how to say hello and thank you in Japanese or anything like that, you know? But in terms of like what you're obligated to do, I don't I don't think you're obligated to do anything outside of what you're what you're personally interested in, to be fair. But nonetheless, EA's King, I don't mean that as like a jab at you. I just I don't know, man. I just want to do what I want to do, man. If I want to go ride Winnie the Pooh at Tokyo Disneyland as a fat middle tw- mid twenties, you know, American dude, then that's my prerogative. Don't, don't really see why it matters, man. We're never getting out of these comments. Sam Torres says, can I post a, my review on Apple, uh, my Apple iTunes review on here and you just paste it into Apple because, because I never trust Apple's use of my name, likeness, hand stitch, underwear, wristband, nickname. Okay. All right. Let's, I don't understand what you're saying. Let's jump in. You say, uh, those bungee cord lengthening Judas chair operating wallet heisting fad presenting ghouls make me nervous referring to Apple. So please tell them this. You're for, okay. So this is what you want me to tell Apple. I'm sorry. I'm butchering your comment here, but this is what you want me to tell Apple. Jesse makes a great podcast that helps me enjoy eating, drinking, and gaming on Xbox. He also likes theme parks. So he's no commoner. 
and he is aware that his kitten is going to fuck him up, so he moves cautiously. That's very true. I'm actually afraid to move my legs under the desk right now as I record because I know the cat is under the desk and I'm afraid that she's going to like bite or scratch me if I make a sudden movement. So you're very, you're very right there, Sam. I'm terrified of my cat, but I'm not going to post that into, into iTunes because I too no longer have any Apple devices. I guess I could hijack my girlfriend's iPhone, but I don't have a way of getting onto iTunes. So please everyone go out there and rate me five stars on iTunes as Sam has now, Sam didn't go ahead and put the review in iTunes, but he put on YouTube, and that's like two steps removed from iTunes, so that's pretty close, that's that's better than some of you guys who aren't even getting out there at all, so what do you think about that? Now, alright, we got four more comments, let's just blast through them, Strictly Gaming says, maybe it was just my bad grammar, but I definitely meant that you play a lot of games, not that you play few games, to be honest, I enjoyed your little rant about me, Strictly Gaming, I was just goofing with you, I definitely misread your comment, it was not your fault, it was not your grammar, but uh, I'm glad you took it as a joke because, yeah, Mountain Dew in England doesn't seem Mountain Dew in England doesn't seem to be as big as it is in America. And from where I'm at in England, I can only seem to be able to buy the original one. I'm 28 years old and I've never tried it before. But after you talking about it all the time, I thought it was worth a try. And wow, I've missed out on what a, on what a drink. Just shame can only seem to get the original one around me. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Strictly Gaming. Make sure you double check there because I know you guys in England have a weird variant of classic Mountain Dew that tastes a little bit more like yellow Gatorade. So make sure you're drinking real Mountain Dew and not that European shit. But nah, all joking aside, I've actually had that. I had a friend friend smuggle some into the country uh, when he visited England. He brought me back some. It was okay. But classic Dew, classic American Dew. I don't know if you guys have access to it, but nonetheless, I'm glad you tried it. I appreciate that you tried on my recommendation. That's actually very flattering and i hope you enjoyed it uh, as it seems you have thank you for the kind words strictly gaming and uh remember next time i decide to make an example of you it's uh due to my own ignorance and not due to anything you've said lethal migraine says my samsung galaxy s21 ultra 5g is great i'm glad you like it joe murphy says game pass is great medium's awesome and i hope they make a medium too taco bell's awesomely great mountain dew and dr pepper are great but having taco bell mountain dew and dr pepper in my life i'll never lose weight i seem to always weigh around 200 pounds disney rides uh and not in any real order are the best classic rides like it's a small world indiana jones magic mountain i think you mean space mountain pirates of the caribbean so, Joe, I don't understand what's happening, but a lot of people seem to be commenting lately with just, like, a bunch of, like, jumbled up, like, Game Pass is great, Taco Bell's great, Mountain Dew's great, Dr. Pepper's great kind of comments, and that's not a criticism. I, I actually quite enjoy them. I, I love that there are some of you, it's like, it's like an identifier. It's like, it's like, um, I don't know, it's like if this is, like, some top secret club, and I'm like, what's the passcode? And you guys are just kind of like, Xbox, cool, Taco Bell, yum, Mountain Dew, good. And it's just like uh, access granted. So I, I don't know. I appreciate the comment there. Yeah, I mean, classic Disney rides like Small World and Space Mountain Pirates, of course, are some of the best. But I don't think they're the best just because they're the classics. I think the best rides are the ones that have the most emotional resonance with you. So if those are your favorite rides, those are your favorite rides. I can't argue with you on that. But uh, my, my favorite ride is Carousel Progress. I think that's a pretty classic ride right there. Just because it's not a classic Fantasyland attraction doesn't doesn't mean shit, Okay. God damn it, my favorite Disney attraction was at the 1964 World's Fair. Where were you, Joe? Where were you in 1964, huh? Because I bet you weren't riding Carousel of Progress at, 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 New York's World's, at the New York World's Fair. God damn it. Thanks, Ryan. And Mr. Miggy says, I'm sure the kitty will learn to love you more as time goes on. Took my tiny one years, but that's only because she had an infection. I've slowly been liking Taco Bell, but less 
uh, less since they keep removing good items from their menu, uh, I understand. But their breakfast is still one of the best. I haven't played MLB The Show in long, so my cousin uh, had his PS3. Uh, since my cousin has PS3, might pick it up now that's on Xbox, you should. Also, loving the outro music. Uh, thank you, Mr. Miggy, and thank Count Scottula for his awesome outro music, and my friend Eric, who's fallen off the face of the earth, who put in all that cool lo-fi shit we listen to mr mcgee first of all you should definitely play mlb the show on xbox but a part of me also wants to like warn people not that it's like my job to do this but anyway we should all probably be a little cautious about mlb the show on xbox not that sony san diego isn't capable of pulling this off but there's a weird part of me that's like the fact that they suddenly had to add a second HD console skew of this game now that's coming to Xbox makes me feel like we should be a little hesitant this year and just make sure the game comes out and reviews well and that like it's not buggy and broken and glitchy before we just go out and buy it because there's a part of me that's like what if like having to add an Xbox skew to the development cycle really like threw a wrench in things and now the game's like less feature complete or buggy or unpolished or unfinished MLB The Show is almost always a very highly polished, well-put-together product, but I don't know. For some reason, the idea that they have to now put on Xbox makes me worry that maybe there'll be some, like, first-year kinks to work out. I don't know. That's just a that's a weird apprehension I have that I just want to put out there, but that being said, I'm hypocritically absolutely going to buy that game day one on my Xbox because I'm excited for it. Spencer Archer is coming back to the Tampa Bay Rays this year. I'm so excited about that. I'm going to play... I, dude... I can play as Archer in MLB The Show 2021 on my ex- uh, on my Xbox Series X. He's wearing the Tampa Bay Rays jersey. Everything's good in the world, guys. We're at peace. I understand Taco Bell's been butchering their menu a little bit lately. I, I agree with you there. But let's try to focus on the good here, okay? That's going to do it for our comments. That's all the comments. There's a lot of comments this week, and there's a lot of news coming up as well. So let's try to pick up the pace, guys. I don't want to keep you all day. I know some of you guys are very busy people. I probably got a bunch of CEOs and celebrities out there listening to my show. Now, none of you have come out of the woodworks to identify yourselves and comment here, but I'm guessing that we have people to the effect of Justin Timberlake's type, you know, that level of celebrity out there listening. So I want to let you know I really appreciate the time you take to listen to my show. It's very much an Xbox podcast, very good Xbox podcast. PlayStation puts out a very bad very sad, very bad podcast every week. Xbox is a very good podcast. I make the Xbox podcast. IGN has one. You don't got to listen to it. Major Nelson has one. It's mostly just an Xbox Wire ad read. You don't got to listen to that guy, okay, guys? I'm your guy. I'm your Xbox guy here. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you when Xbox fucks up because I'm not afraid to speak harsh. I'm not afraid to say real things. Dude, if this... If, if what I got to say on this podcast is going to affect my relationship with Xbox and to stop them from sending me free codes and free swag for me to hand out and show off on my YouTube channel at secondbest.com gaming slash YouTube, listen, I'm not afraid of that because I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not afraid about hurting your feelings. Facts don't have feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. I'm going to tell you how I feel about the Xbox, how I feel about the Disney pizza, and where Microsoft is going wrong, okay, guys? So with that said, let me tell you about what I've been eating. So I'm still dieting, and, and I'm kind of frustrated, as I was telling my brother, because I, I thought this was going to be like a week or two of just counting calories for fun, like, oh, look at me pretending I care about my health. But the problem is, it's been easier to count my calories than I thought it would be, in lower commitment than I thought it would be, and then just portion controlling as a result of being more mindful of my calorie intake has been easier than I thought it would be. And so the problem is, every morning I'm checking the scale, 
and I'm actually losing like on average about a pound every five to seven days. So like I'm I'm losing weight. I'm about I'm down about six pounds right now from when I started two weeks ago. So the problem is like I'm coming home from work every day and like I want to eat seconds. I want to indulge in like sweets. I want to eat some chocolate. I, I like to put some like M&Ms in my popcorn and just like watch fucking, you know, Disney Plus 90s Disney Channel movies and eat popcorn with chocolates in them. But I can't because here I am counting the calories and I don't have sufficient calories left for the day. You know, I'm, I'm done. I'm trying to lose the weight. And the problem is it's like this perfect balance of like this is a diet that's relatively easy for me to follow because I still get to eat what I want. I just get to eat less of it. And also I'm seeing results. I'm seeing myself lose weight. So it's like I can't give up because I'm actually seeing results. If this were one of those things where it's like it sucks, it's hard to commit to, I can't eat the food I want, I'm not even losing really all that much weight or it's hard to lose the weight still, it'd be like fine, fuck this. You know, I'm going to I'm going to Margaritaville. Call me if you need me. Don't need me. I I'm going to, I'm going to the I'm going to be on island time for the next weekend, you know. But that hasn't been the case cuz I'm actually losing the weight. So now I find myself like driving past the McDonald's, driving past the Taco Bell saying, "You know what?" Let me go home. Let me eat the grilled chicken with the brown rice and the vegetables because it's not that bad the way I season it. And I lost a pound this morning when I checked the scale. So, like, I kind of want to see where this goes. And it's it's frustrating. But I got to say the saving grace of all of this has been, you know, I've always shat on the diet sodas telling you, you know, go real or go home. You know, regular Mountain Dew, regular Pepsi, regular Dr. Pepper. But my brother tipped me on a little secret here. He says... If you have one of those nights where it's like I've kind of hit my calorie count for the night, I don't have any more room for like a second plate of dinner or like a dessert or something sweet to eat to kind of like just take the edge off. You're like you got to stop. You hit your calorie count. You're trying to lose weight. You're trying to be a good boy, right? The trick is get like a 12-pack of Pepsi Zero Sugar. It's a zero-calorie diet soda. You know, it's not diet Pepsi. It's zero-sugar Pepsi. Just, just try that because it's like carbony and flavorful and it kind of like – tricks your brain into thinking like you're eating food or putting calories in while not actually putting calories in. Obviously, it's not a very healthy idea, but it helps keep you on track with the diet. So I'm like, fuck it, let's try it. I hate diet soda, this probably won't work. Gotta be honest, guys, and I hate admitting this because you know what an authentic soda guy I am. Listen, I'm I'm truthful about soda. Uh, facts in sodas don't have, don't care about your feelings. Like, it's like real Mountain Dew or go home, that's what I always say, but the fact of the matter is, here I am drinking the Pepsi Zero Sugar and I got... It's, it's not bad. Now, it's definitely not real Pepsi, but Pepsi Zero Sugar is leagues better than Diet Pepsi or Diet Coke. And in my opinion, better than Coke Zero. Like, it's it's pretty damn good. It tastes like Pepsi. It's just a little less sweet. It has that, like, artificial flavor, but, like, not as badly as other diet sodas have it. I don't really know how to put it. Like, I'm enjoying Pepsi Zero. It's been a nice diet aid. So here I am recommending the Pepsi Zero Sugar betraying my own soda fans but I gotta be honest guys and you know me I'm an honest guy I'm not afraid to say what needs to be said no matter how unpopular it is you know facts don't care about your feelings that's what I've always been saying so here here I am putting it out there Pepsi Zero Sugar it could happen now what I've been playing that's what I've been eating but let me tell you all about what I've been playing guys real quick uh, I got those diamond skins on Call of Duty Zombies. I've been working on getting the diamond and gold skins on my shotgun. So I did that. I finished that the other night. Felt a little unfulfilled, actually. I was like, I did it. And I was just like, now what? So that's happening. I'm, I'm trying to work through my battle pass. Battle pass ends in like 14 days. I'm already like level 80 on the battle pass. So I'm like, fuck it. I might as well just finish this. Even though there's almost nothing good in this battle pass. So I don't really know why I'm doing that. 
Uh, and then I want to get back to the medium this weekend. I tried to play it a little bit last night and was like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't want to stop playing this. Why did I stop playing this? Uh, but then I got really sleepy. So hopefully this weekend I'll get back to the, to the uh, medium. But that's what I've been working on. Not too much gaming lately. I've been doing a lot of, like, cooking while my girlfriend has been working later and watching YouTube, thinking about Cybertruck, thinking about the parks, doing some – you know, Disney's California Adventure theme park in California is turning 20 years old right now, and I'm doing a lot of just looking back, watching the videos, reading, thinking about the park and how it's already been 20 years since we got DCA. You know, I fucking 20 years ago, there I was, not standing at the front gates of DCA because I didn't go until about three years ago for the first time, but I remember that park opening, watching the ads on Disney Channel, thinking to myself, wow, I'm about as likely to go to this theme park as I am to ever kiss a girl, and, you know... Eventually, things changed, and, uh, well, I've been to Disney's California Adventure, and i got to tell you, it's a great theme park. It's turned 20 years old. It's the best theme park in the world. Not true, but uh, I wouldn't lie to you guys. You know me. I, I say what needs to be said, whether you like to hear it or not. So that's what I've been eating, playing, whatever. But with that said, guys, this is an Xbox podcast. There are other Xbox podcasts out there, but this one's really Xbox-focused, and I think that's there's a lot of merit to that. So let's jump into the news. Let's jump into all the Xbox news starting now. All right, our first story comes from Windows Central, and this is something that kind of was happening as I was recording last week, so it might seem like an old story at this point, but wasn't able to really cover it on the show last week, so we're getting to it now. It's actually a really big story, so let's just jump right in. So according to Windows Central, <clears throat> Embracer Group, the parent company of studios like THQ Nordic, Coke Media, and Saber Interactive announced early Wednesday last week uh, that it'll be entering a merger with Gearbox Entertainment. The deal can amount to up to $1.3 billion. The press release posted on Embracer's website states that the deal will allow Gearbox to collaborate with Embracer and use its resources to continue developing uh, games and franchises. The deal seems to include both Gearbox software, the developer side, and Gearbox publishing. This also includes Gearbox's filming TV projects, including the now-in-development Borderlands movie, Interestingly, though, it includes mentions of a Duke Nukem movie, which we haven't heard about since 2018. CEO of Gearbox, Randy Pitchford, will continue to lead the company, which will still operate as an independent studio. The press release also states that all other Gearbox employees will make the same move and become shareholders in Embracer. Pitchford said in a statement, quote, The feeling at Gamebox is that we are just getting started in the transact- and the transaction is not merely a situation for uh, the talent of our employee-owned company, but a propellant for an exciting future that we have planned. This deal will make Gearbox the seventh subsidiary of Embracer's portfolio. The others are THQ Nordic, Coke Media, publishes games under Deep Silver, Coffee Stain Studios, Amplifier Game Invest, Saber Interactive, and DECA Games. According to the website, it has over 5,500 employees and contractors across the world. This means first-party uh, Gearbox franchises like Borderlands and Homeworlds and published games like Hello Neighbor and Godfall will be under the same umbrella as Metro Redux, Remnant from the Ashes, World War Z, and a lot more. So this was a big story from last week. I actually feel kind of bad. I guess I guess I kind of missed it. Maybe it happened a little earlier in the day. But anyway, I wasn't able to cover it on last week's show. So this is kind of a huge deal, especially considering that Gearbox was trying to move into self-publishing. You know, famously, you know, Gearbox hasn't worked on too too many franchises, although they have been on they have been around for a while. But yeah, they uh, their most notable franchise is of course Borderlands, right? And right before Borderlands three came out, you know they announced they're kind of trying to get into publishing and they published that Bulletstorm remake and all that stuff. So they have been doing a little bit of that. So it is almost surprising to see them get acquired, I guess. But at the same time, not at all, because as a publisher, they were pretty like small tier publisher or small to medium tier. But to be 
part of the Embracer Group, which owns other publishing houses like uh, Saber Interactive and THQ Nordic, it's also a little bit like, okay, well, maybe that's a decent fit because those are also like small to medium size, like not size, but publishers who put out like medium type games, you know, in terms of like what they publish. Uh, But the thing is, Gearbox, the developer, you know, the people behind Borderlands, that's like a true AAA, super high quality developer. So it's weird because usually with Embracer Group, we're used to seeing them get the smaller to mid-tier stuff. Like again, like Saber Interactive or THQ Nordic. So to get someone like Gearbox, to get someone like the Borderlands guys is a huge get. That's a it's a pretty like high quality big one. And I don't know what there is, what it is about it, but like it just felt like Borderlands or uh like your box is just kind of like, I don't know how to say this without sounding offensive, but like kind of too AAA for Embracer Group, but apparently not. So it, it's interesting because they're going to allow to continue to operate independently, basically, but just be owned. It reminds me similarly of what we're expected to see out of Bethesda, which is like Bethesda just gets to kind of do their thing and be Bethesda, but Microsoft owns them. So we'll have to see how that plays out. The other important thing to note here is that 2K is the publisher of the Borderlands series, not not Gearbox. Gearbox develops Borderlands. So earlier this week, 2K basically said, yeah, we're, we're, we continue to own and operate the Borderlands license. So it looks like that's still going to be, you know, Gearbox developed and 2k published despite the fact that gearbox is going to be owned by embracer group so it'll be interesting to see how that goes i assume this means a lot more focus now on new ip which was probably their plan anyway after borderlands 3 but uh borderlands 3 felt more like a game they were obligated to make and less like a game that they were inspired to make if that makes sense but We'll have to see. This is a really interesting move. I don't really have much to say on it just because it's it's really big news, but there's not too, too much for me to glean from it. So we'll have to keep an eye on it and see how that plays out. But nonetheless, Gearbox is now part of Embracer Group, which makes them probably the most important and high, I mean, like more, most notable part of that Embracer Group team. Now, our next story here comes from IGN. It says that legal documents indicate that Microsoft intends to create a wholly owned subsidiary called Vault to to complete its ZeniMax media acquisition deal. It's not clear if ZeniMax will be known as Vault after the deal is closed. The European Union is currently deciding whether to approve the $7.5 billion acquisition that was revealed back in September 2020. Documents seen on the European Union law website EURLEX Refer to the logistics of the acquisition mentioning a merger pursuit to which nearly created Microsoft's subsidiary subsidiary Vault will be emerged and into ZeniMax. While it's not clear exactly how this will work, the Vault subsidiary uh, would be a good way to house Microsoft's newly acquired new acquisitions under one quasi-independent banner, affording ZeniMax Studios, which includes Bethesda, Arcane Machine, and a lot more, the level of freedom while still being owned by Microsoft. The text explicitly says that Microsoft will inquire a so- the sole control of the whole of ZeniMax regardless, but the document suggests that there will be a comp- this that they will be accomplishing this via the Vault subsidiary, which we'll be sure to learn more about once the deal gets the all clear from the European Union. It's a different approach to Microsoft's pre- previous acquisitions, such as Obsidian, Ninja Theory, and Double Fine, which were formerly made into part of Microsoft and household under its Xbox Game Studios brand. Whether ZeniMax Studios becomes known as part of the vault or not, to move the create 
To move to create a Microsoft subsidiary to complete the merger seems to mark a level of independence compared compared to other acquisition companies. So this makes sense that on this on the sense of what I was just mentioning, which is that Microsoft is going to allow Bethesda and ZeniMax to basically just do their own thing and continue to be their own, but be under the Xbox banner to some extent. So in that sense, it makes sense to to make something basically like a like a Vault subsidiary and be like. Vault, you know, kind of a nod to Fallout and be like, so there's Xbox Game Studios and then there's Vault, which is like, you know, it makes sense. It's like this treasure trove of other talent that are part of the Microsoft team, but not under the Xbox Game Studios banner, which can be like the ZeniMax family. So that makes sense in that regard, I think, where it's like, okay, we want to be able to have all these brands and allow them to be independent and do their thing but also have them be notable in a way that's, you know, independent from regular Xbox game studios so that if you happen to see something like a Fallout on a PlayStation console, you understand it's a vault game, not an Xbox game studios game, or, you know, wh- whatever the case may be. But at that point, it's like, why not just keep ZeniMax as the name then? Why, why change it to vault or why create vault out of this? And maybe there's a desire to get away from that name just because Vault can make it something wholly new so people can ask themselves, you know, what is that? Which will then prompt people to learn and understand that this is like a new ownership that these brands are under despite still being able to operate kind of independently. So I'm not really fully sure what all to make of this other than that, but I think the name's cool. (laughs) But again, just I think the more and more we see Microsoft push for this whole like ZeniMax gets to be independent from us even though they're owned by us, the more and more it lends credence to them being able to break and play around with rules that other Xbox Game Studios teams don't get to play with. For example, you know, The Coalition and 343 and Double Fine and Ninja Theory don't make games for PlayStation. They make Xbox and PC games because they're an Xbox Game Studios game. Vault might get to put their games on PlayStation. Who knows? They might get to um, operate in their own engines and with their own technology and kind of do their own thing and be very far away from Xbox and kind of be on their own terms because, well, they operate under Vault. So, I don't know. It's probably how, like, National Geographic is operating now that they're under Disney technically because fucking God hates us. So he let Disney buy National Geographic for some fucking reason. I don't I don't know. It's one of those things where I think Microsoft wants there to be that that deviation. They want you to see Vault or ZeniMax as something separate from uh, Xbox Game Studios. So I, I think that's the point of this name is to draw a clear line in the sand as in this is a new step going forward. This is ZeniMax, but this is ZeniMax owned by Microsoft. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that here we are with another story where I'm like, I'm not sure what else to really glean from that, but nonetheless, that's the story. Hopefully, we'll get into some more interesting news to dissect rather than just more vague stuff, but we're getting there. We got a handful of stories this week. So next up, we've got from Windows Central that Halo developer 343 Industries have announced uh, in a new development update that they are in test flight for Halo the Master Chief Collection. The developer update will come either later in February or March. Additionally, the studio also announced... Uh, that as part of the flight, the team that quote a new place. Additionally, the studio also announced that as part of the flight, quote a new place and way to play may be tested. It's unclear what exactly this means, although many Halo fans speculate that this hints at uh, referring to a long-awaited custom games browser feature that allows players to join public custom games in multiplayer lobbies. Uh, some also believe that this indicates Master Chief Collection is coming to Epic Game Store or even PlayStation, possibly. Uh, there's the possibility that Master Chief Collection uh, releases on new platforms as well in the future. It's probably unlikely. Ultimately, we'll have to wait for 343 to say something. So I, I actually didn't read this. That This article actually exactly touches on what I was going to suggest, which is that this is definitely 
a new place and way to play, meaning within the game. This is not a new place as in like we're putting Master Chief Collection. So immediately people were like, oh, Master Chief Collection is coming to PlayStation or Epic Game Store. It's like, no, no, shut up. No, 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 no. I mean, Epic Game Store, maybe someday. I don't fucking know. It's on Steam. Why not? But PlayStation, no. And I don't think that's what they're talking about. I think a new place and way to play is definitely a way of saying, because remember, this is a, this is a, um, a development update test flight. They're, they're talking about adding a new feature to the game. And that was my first thought was this is, this is probably something forge related. I, at first I thought it was forge. I thought they were going to say, we're bringing over like a halo, like forge. That is like the all encompassing forge. It's like the best forge elements from all the forge games built in the halo five forge engine or something like that. So maybe it is that maybe it is some kind of custom games or a theater type mode thing. That would be awesome as well. But I'm really hoping this has something to do with forge because that's really the, the key aspect of halo that's missing from master chief collection at this point. So fuck, maybe they're putting Spartan assault in master chief collection. Who fucking knows at this point, maybe they're putting halo wars, but this, this notion, this rumor that, that they're putting halo master chief collection on PlayStation or Epic game store or something like that. Got, gotta, gotta end that talk immediately. That's just simply not what's happening here. Like shut the fuck up. Yeah. I I'm of the mind that this is definitely a new game content, new, new place and way to play. What's a new place? Well, anything you can create in Forge. What's a new way to play? Uh, by creating shit in Forge rather than playing already made content. So I think that sounds like new content. It's probably not Forge, but that's my guess and my wish. So I'm going to push for that either way. But yes, this is probably something in custom games. Don't get your hopes up that we get to fanboy rage over PlayStation players having access to the greatest gaming franchise of all time because it's probably not happening here. Then next, Ubisoft has announced that they're moving away from the reliance on AAA, of AAA titles, which is really interesting. So this is something I actually have something to say on, so let's jump into the story. IGN reports that Ubisoft doesn't want to be as reliant on AAA games as they have been in the past, and will instead look more closely to free-to-play games as and its back catalog to make money. In its earning call from last week following the company's Q3 financial results, the publisher said that it plans for fiscal year 2022, the period from April 2021 to March 2022, to include three new AAA games, um, but also in, in that future, Ubisoft doesn't want AAA games to be the focus of their business model. They said, quote, and this is from CFO Frederick uh, Duget, who says, we said for a number of years that our normal template is to come up with either three or four AAA games. So we'll stick to that plan for fiscal year 2022. But we see that we are progressively, continuously moving from a model that used to be only focused on AAA releases to a model where we have the combination of strong releases from AAA to strong back catalog dynamics, but also complementing our program of new releases with free-to-play and other premium experiences. He went on to specify that the company had a number of titles, AAA and otherwise, that are in the pipeline, like Far Cry 6, Rainbow Six Quarantine, Skull and Bones, Raider, Raiders Republic, and Prince of Persia Sands of Time Remake. He also noted that to a previously announced Assassin's Creed mobile game planned to come to China with the help of Ubisoft investment Tencent, which he said was part of the company's ramping up investment and interest into free-to-play games, especially on mobile. Mobile currently makes up about 9% of the company's total business. But in fiscal year 2022, as they say in this quote, we will continue to evolve from AAA release-centric model towards a model of AAA stands alongside new premium free-to-play innovative experiences across platforms. These diverse experiences will feed into each other through complementary gameplay, 
and business models. So here's the thing, and we've seen Sony actually of all companies talk about this the most recently. I believe it was the CEO, I wanna say Andrew Ryan, but that's the EA guy, whatever his name is, fuck it. The guy who used to work at Gorilla. But Sony recently said, basically, you know, we're in this we're in this place where it's like, we're constantly doing this whole, like trying to make games bigger and bigger and bigger, more content, more vaster worlds to explore, denser worlds to explore and play in. And it's getting to this point where it's like, games are so expensive and tedious to make. And players keep expecting prices to stay consistent and game quality to get better and game size to get bigger and amount of content and boundaries being pushed to, to get greater and greater. But at the same time, it's like games are so expensive to make and so time consuming. It's almost like this thing we've created, especially in the era, I would say, of like late Xbox 360 to like current, where you look at the top dogs, the Sonys, the Microsofts, the EAs, the Activisions, the Ubisofts, and everyone's like kind of pigeon held into this position of like, you can't really make a game unless it's a massive AAA open world trying to be the greatest thing of all time kind of game that's going to make millions of dollars and be the next thing to light the world on fire. Because we live in this world where people don't want mid-tier games. They don't want to play Destroy All Humans or Mercenaries Playground of Destruction. Because when you make a double A or mid tier game, when you make a THQ tier game or pandemic style game, people are just like, oh man, well, that's not really boundary pushing. I want something that's going to give me 400 hours of game gameplay in the most open world, the most expansive open world I've ever seen. You know, people want everything to be Grand Theft Auto, you know? And the problem is when everyone focuses on doing that, it puts this focus, this pressure on studios and publishers and people who fund these games to say, okay, if we're going to invest all of our money into these massive projects that just have to light the world on fire and have to be big, it kind of pigeonholes into this position of like, these are the things that sell. How can we assure this sells? This kind of setting, this kind of gameplay, this kind of world, this kind of story, this kind of, you know, this is what sells. And so you get games like, Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, Far Cry, Assassin's Creed, which is now an open world game, even though it used to be a stealth action game, uh, The Division, and Destiny, Anthem, because everyone is trying to follow the model that works. The games as a service, the open world single, single player adventure game. These are the games that sell like crack. These are the games that are super high quality, get people's attention. IGN does an IGN first about it where they cover it for a month and then they get money about it and then they review it at 9.9 .9 and say we didn't get paid for that. Uh, even though IGN definitely doesn't get paid, but it's still fun to make fun of them because they're IGN and they're kind of out of touch with everything. But the point I'm trying to make here is that there's kind of this position that's been that that these these companies have put themselves in, these gamers have put them these companies in, where it's like make Cyberpunk, make Red Dead Redemption 2, make Assassin's Creed Odyssey, or don't fucking make a game. We want a big open world. I want to forget how pathetic my life is. I want to forget that. I have a retail job and my neighbors smoke pot and play loud music at 2 a.m. when I'm trying to sleep before I had to wake up early and go to said shitty job. So when I play a game, put me in the role of this stupid guy from a long time ago who lived when the Romans were a thing and make me jump around buildings and stab people in the face because I need that immersive experience. And what we've created here is like games aren't fun anymore. Like you don't get wacky games anymore where you're like an alien that goes around and blasts shit and like abducts stuff because games are fun. You don't get games like Destroy All Humans anymore. And I think what Ubisoft is realizing because they experience failure more than anyone else when it comes to these big games, look at like recent releases like Phoenix Immortal Rising is that 
with high risk, high reward games only being on the market, you leave yourself exposed to situations like, oh, that new Ghost Recon game didn't really perform as expected last year. Or, oh, Phoenix Immortal Rising didn't perform as expected. It flopped. Or, like, think about EA. You end up with, like, Mass Effect Andromeda, which was in development for, like, 400 years and ended up not being very good, apparently. Or, like, Anthem, which is, like, how the fuck did the guys that make Mass Effect make this game? And so now you have these companies like Ubisoft who are like, okay, hang on a second. We cannot be spending four to five years investing in these big games, building these engines, building these worlds for these massive experiences that may or may not be the next Witcher 3, that may or may not be the next Breath of the Wild. We can't be doing that because it's too much money, it's too much development, it's too much resources, too many resources, all for something that's already an oversaturated market. So I get what Ubisoft is doing here. I don't know why it's taking me so long to get to the point, but I get what Ubisoft is doing here is they need to diversify their portfolio. And the first thing that comes to my mind is I, I know they're talking about free-to-play games. So they're talking about getting in on mobile. They're talking about like battle royales, even though they just had that free-to-play battle royale that bombed. And I and I have no doubt that they're going to go really hard into some free-to-play games to accompany their massive Assassin's Creed and Far Cry type games. But also what I can't help think about is Maneater. Maneater is a game that was made by Tripwire. They're actually from where I'm from in Georgia. And they previously made that game that's mostly PC-centric, but I think now is on console called Killing Floor. It's a zombie game. But... Last year, they made Maneater, and Ubisoft published it. And that game, you know, I haven't played it, but I've I've heard nothing but great things about it. And the thing is, people love Maneater because it embodies so much of that, like, PS2 era and before kind of spirit of just a super fun, middle-of-the-road, not massively over-budget or big-budget or AAA billion developer game, but also not, like, two-people indie game trying to make art with purple hair kind of game either. It's just, like... Hey, remember Destroy All Humans? Hey, remember Crash Bandicoot? Hey, remember Fun? And then you look at a game like Man Eater, and it's like, yeah, that's a great idea. You play as a fucking shark that swims around and kills shit in the water and eats, chomps people up on the beach. It's like, who doesn't, like, who who enjoys, like, video games and just fun mechanics doesn't look at a game like Man Eater and go, like, hey, that's a, that's a breath of fresh air. Like, that's fun. And so that game sold really, really well, and people really liked it. It reviewed well. It's, it's... There's probably going to be a Maneater 2 after, you know, the way this game performed. And I think Ubisoft is looking at stuff like that. And they're looking at Apex Legends. They're looking at all this stuff. They're looking at how Siege was supposed to be the $60 game, but it has these legs that just keep going forever. And now Siege is this platform that just won't stop. And they're saying, why are we focusing all of our money into these Ghost Recons and Immortals Phoenix Rising games that flop just for the potential to have another Far Cry, another Assassin's Creed, which sell great. They do great. We have those. We'll continue to make those, but we got to diversify the portfolio. We got to have the smaller games, the fun games, the free-to-play games, the mobile games. And I think that's great because even though I don't give a shit about, you know, the battle royales and the mobile games, what I do give a shit about is a Ubisoft that is under the pressure of doing something different, right? I think Ubisoft, maybe rightly so, I maybe not, gets this more than anyone where they, they they call the genre like a Ubisoft game. It's an open world game, checkbox style game, take over these outposts, do these quests, fill out the map, blah, blah, blah. That's the game, right? It's just kind of ticking the things off, the objectives off the map. And I think Ubisoft is, is now kind of being the first one to come up and be like, let's get away from that. Let's not have that be our only thing. Or maybe not get away from that. Maybe this is them realizing because you could even, I guess, argue that other big publishers like Activision EA are even a little more diverse than Ubisoft because 
At least Activision's still putting shit out like Tony Hawk and Crash Bandicoot, which is pretty damn different from Call of Duty and a lot smaller scale and, and scope in terms of like just how AAA it is, right? You know, at least, you know, even though EA mostly just doesn't put out good games because the dice engine fucking sucks and they force on every game with their fucking logo on it doesn't distract from the fact that man like they have so many types of racing games and they do some smaller games they publish some indie games um i mean they they do stuff outside like battlefield and fucking uh what else does ea make they make that game where the uh aliens and the space people the mass effect so i i don't know but exactly what this means because they really seem to focus on the free-to-play which is less fun but what i'm hoping this means is that they're getting back to the games like splinter cell they're getting they're gonna get some like triple a but not the highest quality not the uh most open-ended open world like next gen shit like just make a fucking linear story game you know make a smaller game make a fun game make a man eater 2 make a free-to-play mobile game but don't just make far cry 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and assassin's creed this country and this country and this country and this country like do something different man like you know i know you're french but like grow some fucking balls man like just just do it ubisoft you fucks but uh, yeah, I, I guess that's what there is going on with that. Man, that, that was not that much to say, but dragged out as long as possible. And then Windows Central also reports that E3 2020, you know, despite being canceled after the initial global pandemic and all that bullshit, um, the Entertainment Software Association appears to be working to bring the conference back for 2021, but in a digital format. So after a report from VGC that indicates that ESA is looking to bring back E3 as a digital event, Rock Paper Shotgun confirmed the news via a statement from ESA, which reads, We can confirm that we are transforming the E3 experience for 2021 and will soon share exactly how we're bringing the global video game community together. We are having great conversations with publishers, developers, and companies across the board, and we look forward to sharing details about their involvement soon. According to the VGC article, uh, at least one unnamed publisher has told the ESA that it plans to hold its own digital showcase separate from its uh, from its E3 2021 plans. The ESA is reportedly having a great converse, having great conversations with other publishers, but no names have been mentioned. So this is this is interesting because on the one hand, you fully expect E3 to try like like E3 2020 got canceled, right? Well, why was that? Because up until March, which is like two, three months before E3 happens, you know, we thought we were going to do our traditional in-person E3. It was so close to the real event that like that was already planned and scheduled and done, right? Like th that shit was basically in the books already. It was so close to the real event. So there was really no option other than to cancel it when COVID happened. But, you know, with that said, it's not like the plan was like, we're just not going to do it until we can do it in person again. Of course not. Obviously, you know, if, if the ESA could have had enough notice, they would have been like, yeah, we're going to do this digital. So obviously the fact that it's coming back digital is no surprise whatsoever. But what is surprising is that, well, not surprising, I should say, but I think what will be interesting or curious to see is how the publishers and developers respond to this. Because what we saw last year is that the world would be fine without E3. E3 is fun. It's a very concentrated moment of all the news from all the sources all at once, which is why it's so eventful and fun. It's like Super Bowl for video games, as people always say. Um, but what we learned last year is we don't need E3 because Microsoft just did their thing when they were ready to. Ubisoft did their thing when they were ready to. EA did their thing when they were ready to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I would argue that E3 is a little more fun because since it's all joined into this one event, this one week, it makes it fun because it's like, hey, as a consumer, I just have to carve this one week of my life out to this event. 
and it's easy to get hyped over one event where I'm going to get all the news. Whereas last year, what we had was since everyone did their own event, it was more of like a, this week it's this company, then in three weeks it's this company, then next month we'll do that guy. And even though that's cool because it allows the publishers, developers to control their message and kind of ha- find their own spotlight and their own platform to tell their story and get their own time with the media and the spotlight on their s- specific story, it sucks for the consumer in a way because it's like, I'd be more interested in all the news if it was all happening within the same event. But when you parse it out, there are times where it's like, oh, Xbox is doing an event this week. Cool. Watches it. Exciting. Nice. Oh, next week Ubisoft's doing something? I don't really give a shit as much. You know, the Microsoft already did their thing the other week. That's more what I was here for, so I don't really care. So I feel like, at least for someone like myself, there was this thing of like, I felt this pressure to keep up with every event last year, but I didn't really care as much as if I if it were to all have happened during E3 week. So I think that's the benefit that E3 has is that it is such a, such a big, momentous event that it causes everyone to have all eyes on everything, not just the stuff they're there for, because the whole event is just an exciting thing to be a part of. Whereas when everyone's free to just kind of do their own thing at their own time, it allows people to kind of cherry pick what they're going to give a fuck about. And it, it makes you less susceptible, I think, to new games and new news that you otherwise may have not paid attention to. That being said, it's way easier to focus on what's happening when it's like small chunks at a time rather than just being bombarded with all the news all the time at one moment. So that's the kind of dynamic that I look at from the consumer perspective. But I think the ESA is fucked because I think what they're going to realize this this year is that a lot of people are going to be like, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Like, we don't want to do your digital event. We actually just want to do our digital event. I think you'll have people like Microsoft who are going to be nice players like they always are. And they show up to every event and try to be a part of it. So they'll do something. But I think you're going to see Sony and Nintendo in particular be like, yeah, we said bye to E3 even when you guys were still doing it in person. Like, we'll do our own event. Thank you very much. Uh, but I think you'll also see EA do that because EA was getting away from E3 with EA Play. And I, I think you'll see more and more do that. And then what's going to happen to Bethesda as they become part of Xbox? Are they going to start doing, you know, Vault or Zenimax stuff during Xbox press conferences? Or are they still going to have their own show at E3? Or are they going to leave E3? Or what, what's going to happen there? So... A lot of questions are raised as a result of this, but I think what the ESA is going to find out is that a lot of these publishers are not going to be keen to go back to E3, especially if E3 is not this in-person event that it used to be. If it's just this digital representation showcase, a lot of these guys are going to opt to do their own thing on their own time so they can have their own spotlight when they want it. That way they can better control the message, better have the attention of the media and the consumer, and I think it's going to work out better for the individuals in that sense. So we'll see, but this is exactly what I meant all last year when I was saying E3's days are numbered because this shit's not going to fly, I don't think, but we'll have to wait and see. Now, CD Projekt Red, I was going to get into this. I mean, we, I guess we'll brush over it real quick, but it's not, you know, nothing super exciting. It's just, you know, shitty news. Um, but CD Projekt Red was the victim this week of a cyber attack. Not, I guess you could say they got cyberpunked uh, when some ha- when some hackers um, s- claimed to have stolen some internal documents and source code for Cyberpunk, Witcher, and more. Uh, the company announced this information on Twitter. They even shared a screenshot of the ransom note that was released to them, um, which was funny because it said things like, you just got major pwned and stuff like that. Looks like it was written by like a 14-year-old in 2012. Yeah, I mean, the hackers claim to have dumped full copies of the source codes for their games um, and unreleased versions of, Pris- of Witcher 3 um, throughout the internet and were claiming like, oh, you got to pay us, you got <clears> to <throat> contact us within 48 hours. 
basically CD Projekt Red just came out and was like, yo, they're going to basically just say, they basically said like, we're not giving into the demands or the negotiations. Uh, we're aware of what happened and what this may eventually lead to. The release of some compromised data, but you know, basically they just said, we're not kowtowing to this, uh, these cyber bullies basically that the compromised systems didn't really contain any real personal data for players or users, but they still suggested that like employees and former employees change passcodes and try to protect themselves just in case anything happens. So this is one of those things where it's like, I'm so tired of seeing CD Projekt on the news. And obviously this is nothing they did to themselves. This is something a bunch of douchebags did, but nonetheless, it's like, I, I guess this, this is going to become a more common occurrence because Capcom had this happen and a bunch of their legitimate information for upcoming games was leaked. And now this is happening to the cyber or to CD Projekt Red, but apparently it's more like personal internal data. So this is a this is a really dangerous trend that we're starting to see emerge. Hopefully, I don't know someone out there, maybe Microsoft can uh, can release some service to some cloud solution using Azure to help uh, protect companies from these kinds of data breaches again, and then they can use the money they get from all these companies for for using that service to buy all those game companies, and then they'll have a monopoly on the games market, and then that will be the end of Xbox on is when. Xbox owns everything, I guess. So that's how we can run this story full circle. But I don't, yeah, I mean, like, I, what do you want me to say about this? This is the second time we've seen this happen. Capcom a few months ago, now CD Projekt. Guys, change your password. Don't be giving out your Netflix password to your friend just because he's too cheap to pay the eight bucks to watch Orange is the New Black. Like, yo, keep that, keep those passwords secret. Don't be sharing that because these cyber bullies, they do be out there. They do be like trying to, they, they are out there. They are trying to, spread that spread that harmful information so whatever cyberpunk people hopefully the employee most importantly hopefully the employee's personal and private information is safe and they're safe that's that's the bigger takeaway for me let's see a couple more stories to get through um so this is another one that there's not really much to say about i just want to read this mostly out of respect and because with the acquisition i guess this makes this person a little closer to xbox but uh unfortunately Really sadly, um, uh, Pioneer, this is from Windows Central, Pioneer uh, game industry veteran um, Robert uh, Altman passed away this week. Uh, Bethesda Softworks co-founder, CEO, Bethesda shared the news via Twitter today uh, or this week stating that that uh, he was, quote, a true visionary friend and believer of the spirit of people and the power of what they could accomplish together. He was extraordinary leader and even better human being. Together with Qu Christopher Weaver, uh, Altman founded Bethesda Softworks in 1986, later founding the parent company ZeniMax Media in 99. With Altman as CEO, ZeniMax Media would grow as a majority third-party publisher, founding ZeniMax Online Studios and acquiring game developers such as Alpha Dog Games, Arcane Studios, Machine Games, and Tango Gameworks. Over the last decade, Bethesda Softworks has published game franchises such as Elder Scrolls Fallout, Doom, Wolfenstein, Dishonored, Prey, while maintaining the status of a large privately held gaming company until recently. In September, when ZeniMax Media agreed to be acquired by Microsoft, of course, Microsoft expects ZeniMax Media to be fully acquired sometime by the end of June. But, of course, wishing, you know, condolences to family and loved ones of Mr. Altman, who is no longer here, unfortunately. Now, this this is, uh, again, this is not like a new story where I want to sit here and prod and in investigate what's happening here. Unfortunately, this is the second week in a row where we had a report on, like, someone departing or getting hurt or needing to leave the games industry for something, or, you know, in this case, someone passing away. Uh, but I just thought, you know, this would be something worth reading. Obviously Bethesda has a huge relationship to Microsoft even before the acquisition. So 
I just felt it would be respectful to acknowledge this person who is so closely related to the world of Xbox and just put a, uh, you know, a little, I don't know, just put their name out there as something to be considered and thought of. Not that, like, you know, we really knew anything about this man, but just, you know, clearly played a huge role in the formation of Zenimax and Bethesda. And now that's especially more than ever going to be a huge part of Team Xbox. So sad, sad news there. But we are going to wrap up this week with our final story, which is uh, something, in my opinion, a little more exciting. Or, I mean, a little a little more uplifting, which is that the fate of Anthem, according to IGN, hangs in the balance uh, depending on how the internal review of the reboot goes. And that's according to a new report that says that there's a chance EA expands the Anthem next team or shelves the game altogether. In a new report from Bloomberg, EA executives will review the latest version of Anthem Next later this week. Depending on how the project goes, EA will either continue to grow and back the game or just abandon the project altogether. Anthem Next was set to be a redo of sorts of Anthem, Bioware's live service action RPG game, which quickly lost tra- uh, traction with players. Bioware handed Anthem um, to Bioware Austin, uh, which specifically works on games like Star Wars The Old Republic, which is a MMO, games-as-a-service type game. Bioware Austin executive producer Kristen da- Christian Daly became the face of Anthem Next, writing three blog posts about Anthem Next development throughout 2020, but according to the report, Daly left the Anthem team in December as part of a management shakeup. Bioware's Casey Hudson and Mark Dara um, also left the company back in December. Daly's departure put more question around the future of the project, um, but in its development blog, Bioware Austin details some changes that the team considered for Anthem Next, including updates to loot drops, weapons, and javelins. The robot armor players, pilot and customization, and skill tree changes. Basically a top-down overhaul of the game. Other major changes have been made to Anthem's core systems and user interfaces, according to the Bloomberg article. Now, this isn't to say that Anthem Next has officially been canceled. There remains to be seen after EA's internal review, and the project is if it is shaping up to satisfaction, the dev team uh, they will be expanded to pursue the future, the project throughout the, in the future. So, all right. So, <laughs> what's important here is uh, EA needs to abandon uh, Anthem Next. And I know it's like, oh, it's so easy for you to say you haven't seen the redo, you don't know what they're working on, you don't you don't know what's going on here. But but here's the thing: it seems like every time we see Bioware in the news, it's one of two things. It's like, are they gonna port Mass Effect One to the new Xbox Series X? Or did more veteran talent quit the studio, leave a project, get moved to this, silently leave that? It's like they can't get Dragon Age 4 out to save their lives. They can't make a new Mass Effect to save their lives. They can't make a new IP to save their lives. Why the fuck are they focused on Anthem? Again, I know people like the game. Some people like the game. I know from a mechanical standpoint, the game was solid. It felt good, whatever. The game was a flop in terms of longevity and surviving as a game as a service. And it sold well, and I think what EA really needs to do more than anything is just cut their losses, say, hey, we made a healthy profit on this game, but it's not going to stick around as a franchise. No one gives a shit because people aren't knocking on EA's door all day every day saying, where's more Anthem support? We love Anthem. So it's time for them to just say, hey, we tried this thing, it made money, but it didn't take off as a successful service or franchise. Let's cut our losses and move on to the next thing. But instead, they keep pushing and prodding and spreading talent thin. And that's what really gets me. Dragon Age 4 has been being teased since before Barack Obama was even born, let alone President of the United States. And they still just can't get that game out of the goddamn door. But they can still sacrifice total other teams 
within the studio to be like, oh, yeah, you guys want to work on a rebooting anthem and you can quit this project and these guys are leaving and then they'll come back in two years and then they'll leave again. It's like, guys, you need it all hands on deck. Finish a fucking project. Finish Dragon Age. Get to work on that new Mass Effect that game that you announced and got to work on but probably aren't even working on yet because, as we detailed last week, EA loves to just come up with ideas for games and announce them when they're still just literally thoughts in their head and nothing more. So what are we doing here with Anthem? Like, why is this still a conversation? Why are we still talking about this all this time later? Just fucking shit or get off the pot. And it sounds like that's what this is about. It's a moment for them to finally decide, okay, we're either doing this or we're not. But I just can't believe at this point we're even talking about this still. While meanwhile, meanwhile they still have key talent joining and, and leaving left and right. So hopefully what we're going to hear soon is that EA wants Bioware to focus their attention on new games rather than beating this dead horse. And I'm, and I'm sorry to fans of Anthem, but I mean, enough is enough at some point. You just got to fucking make the game already, you know, like make a new game. No one's waiting for Anthem to get better. They're waiting for Bioware to make a new Mass Effect, for Bioware to finally release Dragon Age 4, for Bioware to do something, but that something is not Anthem next. So that's going to do it for all of our big news stories, guys. Now we have a handful of small, uh, important enough news stories, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. So let's just rapid fire these uh, dozen or so uh, small stories we have here. Um, the first one is that Mojang has announced this week that Minecraft Dungeons has reached over 10 million players uh, as of this week across all platforms, which in my opinion sounds a little soft considering this game is on like all platforms, including Switch, but whatever. They seem to be proud of that. I think it sounds a little soft for Minecraft. Next, on March 9th, Forza Horizon 4 will make its way to Steam, marking the first time the franchise has ever been on Steam. Additionally, the leaked Hot Wheels Cars DLC from last week has been confirmed, although no details or release have been provided as of yet. Next, Windows Central reports that Prince of Persia Sands of Time Remake was supposed to launch in January of this year, but was delayed to March back a few months ago. Today, Prince of Persia Remake team took to Twitter to announce that the game has been delayed yet again, this time pushing it back indefinitely with no pending release date. Sonic the Hedgehog uh, isn't is getting a sequel, as we all knew, but its sequel ha now has a name, and it's somewhat obviously been called Sonic the Hedgehog 2. The name comes with a Tails-inspired logo, uh, so it's like Sonic the Hedgehog, and the two looks kind of like Tails. The logo was revealed on Twitter along with a reconfirmation of its release date, April 8, 2022. I think this is fitting, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, the video game, was the one where they introduced Tails. So now they're doing that with the movie where the second movie is like the movie with Tails in it, so it makes sense. Now, the other thing I want to mention here is that the last good thing to happen to humanity before COVID broke out and started destroying the world was that the Sonic the Hedgehog movie came out and was surprisingly good. Okay? Putting that out there. That was February 2020. Sonic the Hedgehog hits theaters. It's surprisingly really good. Weeks later, a global pandemic shuts the whole world down. Everyone's fucked. That's the start of this. I just want to say, April 2022, it's a little over a year from now, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 will come to theaters. I'm just going to say, there's a good chance that will be the proper end of the pandemic. It will be bookended by Sonic. It'll be Sonic is good, life goes to shit, Sonic comes back, life goes to normal again. So if you're looking for when we're all vaccinated, when there's herd immunity, when we're not wearing the masks, when we're not socially distanced again, April 8th, 2022, that is roughly the date you gotta look forward to. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, let's go. 
Next up, uh, for the first time since 2019, Telltale's Games Tales from the Borderlands series is coming back to stores on February 17th after being removed shortly after the uh, demise of Telltale Games before they came back. Crash Bandicoot 4 It's About Time is coming to Xbox Series X on March 12th. It's getting a update for the console that supports native 4K and a solid 60 FPS. And lastly... Uh, but what I actually mean is penultimately, Windows Central reports that Tencent, the massive gaming conglomerate based out of China that gives their CD money to every company they can, has recently gained a minority stake in not only Dotnod Entertainment and the majority stake in Clay Entertainment, but the company recently announced that today it has acquired a minority stake in Bohemia Interactive. Bohemian Interactive is an established game developer behind several popular titles, including the zombie game DayZ. So another game or studio to not support because Tencent. And then lastly, starting this week, Microsoft Store is celebrating the Year of the Ox with great game deals on popular Xbox and PC games during the Lunar New Year sale. Starting... Start off the new year by picking up a new Xbox or PC game, blah, blah, blah. Now is the perfect opportunity to score great deals. This is from Xbox Wire, can you tell? Uh, but hurry up. The sale ends February 15, 2021. So if you're looking for some good deals on some Xbox games, you might want to take a look at that sale. But with that said, that is it for all of our news. Let us, let us quickly, as we approach the two-hour mark, run through the new game releases of the week from the Xbox Wire. This week there are 14 new games, so we will read them so fast you won't even remember a single one of them. That is my wish, that is my promise to you. The Wild 8 comes out February 9th, and there's a guy with a cartoon yard style in a cabin. He has a, a flame stick. Why is he going to light his cabin on fire? That's a dumb idea. A hashtag Sinuka attack, which is some 8-bit Japanese-looking game. Ultra Goodness 2 is optimized for Series X. Comes out February 10th, and there's a kitty with a cross. That's weird. Uh, a ground comes out February 11th. It's very pixely. Maybe it needs a higher... Um, megapixels and then night's retreat comes out february 11th it looks like chess but that's stupid little nightmares 2 comes out february 11th is a smart delivery title so you can have your nightmares smartly delivered to you on the road truck simulator february 11th uh it's like me basically at my job all the time endurance space action comes out february 12th xbox one x enhanced not series x enhanced fuck you people who bought 500 consoles fireworks comes out uh or firework comes out february 12th it looks like a game boy game um, Outbreak, The Last Hope Definitive Edition, Lost Hope Definitive Edition, February 12th, optimized for the new consoles, and it looks like there's a flashlight in this game, so if you get scared, there's a little nightlight for you to use. Persian Knights 2 comes out February 12th, looks like some point-and-click thing. Robo Phoblet uh, comes out February 12th, it's some top-down chibi art-style bullshit. And then Rover Wars Battle for Mars comes out February 12th. Xbox One X Enhanced, not Series X Enhanced. Fuck you. The Story Tale comes out February 12th. It looks like one of those games with a bad art style. And there's spikes, so you got to use jumping to get around them. And that is it for all the new game releases of the week. But as a reminder, game's the goal for the month of February. we got a great month's lineup for you. you got Gears 5 for the whole month, so download that shit. It's good stuff. Resident Evil available for the whole month. It's a remake of the first game. Uh, Dendara Trials of Fear Edition available February 16th through March 15th. Never heard of it, but download it anyway because hey, it's free. Then Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb. It's an OG Xbox game. You get that till February 15th, so download that shit. Lost Planet 2 is available February 16th through 28th. It's an Xbox 360 game. Download that, you dumb bitches. And that is it for our show. Guys, we hit two hours. Guys, it was a long episode. Guys, my voice hurts. And guys, please, next week, this week, whatever week it is. Power your dreams. Oh, and please leave five-star reviews on iTunes. Oh, 